and Carey Price ended up playing in Cornell a few right. years later. Uh, but but that's what happens. And Cornell, if they didn't take me in, though, that was a really touchy situation at the time. And with no, like, it was a lot more loosey-goosey and you were a lot more on your own. I'm glad I had my dad. But, you know, with that, booze, drugs, women, uh, you know, off-ice stuff. I'm 14 playing in a – not only junior A. It wasn't like going to, like, um, Surrey where, like, half the team are prospects that are going to go NCAA. Or, this was a bitter drink in town. I, I love them. But this was Cornell, B.C. Like, go up there. Most of us are mill workers. Piss us off. We're going to fight you. Go to the bar. And there's going to be a John Denver song on at some point, and everybody's going to throw down. You know, like you're like, yeah, like it's it's tough. So, um, I I loved it, but there was no one looking out for me. That was former eighth overall selection of the Montreal Canadiens, Terry Ryan, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey for episode number 48, or I should say welcome to Up My Hockey for episode 48. You may be a first-time listener, and I am excited to have you here. Uh, I trust this will be a, a great program for you to be introduced to, uh, to what we're all about here with my guest today, who is Terry Ryan. Terry Ryan comes with his own um, cult following, if you will. He, he has a he has a podcast now himself um, that has a very, very loyal following. He he also has spent time on stages in Toronto doing stand-up. He is on TV and movies uh, from time to time. And he's also an author. He, he has already published one book previous uh, to the one he's promoting now, Fights Film and Folklore, is the second book. Uh, his first book uh, was released to to some critical uh, acclaim, with uh, was called... Tales of a First Round Nothing. And, and I mean, that's just an absolute amazing name for a book for a guy who scored eight goals. Um, not eight goals, I'm sorry. A guy who played eight games in the NHL and was drafted eighth overall in 1995. That's three picks higher than Jerome McGinley. So it's crazy, right? Like what a draft can do and where careers can go. So, you know, Jerome McGinley recently inducted to the Hall of Fame. Terry Ryan played eight NHL games. Uh, and, you know, why? I guess, right? Why Why is the question? Did the Montreal Canadiens just get it horribly wrong? Did things not go quite right? Uh, what is the reason for, for these types of things happening? Uh, Terry is a ton of fun, right? He is humble, as you can tell by the title of his first book. Uh, he's, he's quick to pe- make people laugh. He loves a good story. Uh, but he's also a smart, a smart dude, right? He, he's, he, his perspectives are interesting. Um, he's well thought out. He has a great memory. And, uh, and I think you'll find this, this episode entertaining. One, just from an entertainment standpoint, you know, I know you're going to laugh. But two, um, his take 
on looking back at his career now, and maybe in a way you haven't heard, even for some of his loyal followers, uh, we get into his relationship with Michelle Therrien, which I believe might have been one of the biggest downsides of his career. We talk about how he mismanaged that relationship, regardless of what the coach was doing or wasn't doing, right? There is an obligation on on a player to play ball in a way that's going to benefit them. And uh, and he is now able to reflect on the fact, like myself, that we, that, you know, he didn't handle that situation properly. And there are situations where I didn't handle properly either. And it's because you're 20, 21, 22, 23, and you don't know, even though you think you know, right? You think you're handling things the best way you know how. Uh, the way you've handled things up to that point has been obviously very, very successful. And so why should things change? Why should you question yourself? But uh, we both, re- uh, you know, I don't know what the right word is. Regret, I hate that word, but regret not asking for help. Not having someone in in our corner that we could lean on, ask questions to, um, and respect what they have to say. Because that relationship, in Terry's instance, um, with Michelle Terrian, hurt him. You know, it, it quite honestly hurt him. He lost his identity as a player. We get into that. He started to become somebody that stopped believing in himself as a as a goal scorer and stop and started identifying himself as a fighter. And um, you know, there's a management change in in Montreal. We talked about that as well. How that can change careers and change opportunities. Uh, the new GM didn't see what the old GM saw, so that hurt him. Uh, and yeah, so we get in a ton of stuff. Uh, I think this is a sentimental, a little bit more sentimental look than maybe you might be used to with Terry. If you're if you're a follower of Terry, and if you're new to Terry, uh, I think you get uh, the best of Terry here. You you, you get to you get to hear him uh, his respect and reverence that he has for the game and the people who play it. Um, the opportunity that he had, what hockey still gives him. You get a few laughs along the way, and there's definitely a lot of lessons here uh, for you know, players, parents, coaches, humans alike on, uh, on life, right? How to navigate hockey, how to navigate business, how to navigate relationships. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. You know, this is one, uh, one interview that was a long time coming. Uh, Terry and I have been meaning to do this for, for a long time. I've been on his podcast, Tales with TR, uh, and, uh, a popular show in and of its own right. He's been a guest on Spittin' Chicklets and, and and had some time with Biz Nasty out in Newfoundland, which was super cool. So you may know him from that. Um, but yeah, without further ado, though, I'll bring you my conversation with Terry Ryan. And uh, and be sure to check out his uh, his books, Fight Film and Folklore, uh, because he's a uh, he's a good man. Uh, he's he's uh, he's doing it the right way, and uh, and he could use your support. So. Thank you so much for listening today and enjoy my interview with Terry Ryan. So just a quick, uh, I guess, footnote, warning, um, notification, you know, call it what you will. Uh, but there is the odd uh, four-letter word used in this interview. Terry Ryan's not terribly shy of uh, embellishing his stories, and sometimes he he chooses um, some colorful words. So it's not over the top, I don't believe, but everyone has a different, um, you know, 
flavor when it comes to that. So I did want to be upfront before the episode starts. If that's something that uh, you or you know a younger listener there that you feel is not appropriate for them to hear, then this maybe isn't the episode for you. But again, we're talking a handful of times, but I wanted to be upfront with that before you started. So uh, without further ado, I bring you Terry Ryan. All right, here we are. This has been a long time in the making, TR. We tried it, uh, geez, back in the summer and uh, didn't quite work out with the connection, but uh, welcome to the show here, longtime friend and uh, what would we call compatriot? Call, I get, really, I've said before, we, we've had very similar <laughs> career paths in a lot of ways and not just hockey uh, afterwards and a lot of the same friends. We, we come from the same uh vibe of the universe whatever that <laughs> yeah no kidding well um anyways welcome to the show terry ryan good to have you man thanks it's good to be here and you're doing great i, I love your shows poets of all i mean everybody and their brother has a podcast now right yeah. everybody does but uh you're really yours is steadily improving and i love it <laughs> meaning that it started out poor and now it's average or meaning that it started out average and now it's getting okay well you, when you so called about you know i think near your ground level i talk to you and you know a lot of people say it but you just you put the time and the effort and resources into your product which really and you know you're getting great guests and you seem to take it really seriously which is great yeah i know it's uh, i appreciate that i was just giving you a hard time it's, it's actually been going like yeah really well i mean you never know what these things do when you start right and uh or where it's going to go but um definitely getting getting some traction and a following and it's growing and the guests obviously are a massive part of that you know the network the network really helps so have someone like david quinn on the show is like how does ken holland you know i mean how does that not help um get the word out yeah. there but um no but i want to chat with you we were talking about covid like maybe we should discontinue that because that is present right now you know right. you're out there in newfoundland back in your home stomping grounds and you guys have been pretty lucky there right yeah we really have been we well i mean i think we have the island advantage some people would say disadvantage if, if we treated it poorly at first it would be a disadvantage right mm -hmm. but we, we really didn't there was one i don't want to say minor i don't want to treat the disease ignorantly at all but we had a breakout at a funeral home like last last spring and that was really the worst of it. I think we had 40 cases come from that. Largely without getting into the ins and outs of it, we're an island. So you just, if you, if, if you take control of it and then we don't, you know, we take the right precautions at the airport and at the boat, there's no other way people are getting in, right? Yeah. So uh, we've had some cases where people might work in Alberta, for example. We have a working relationship with Alberta in many ways, as you know. A lot of people come back and forth. So, you know, they... We might have had a case, but they're quarantining kind of on the outskirts. We really knock on wood here and cross our fingers as we go into the final parts of this. Um, Newfoundland has is definitely one of the most fortunate places in the world. And I want to reiterate that because, you know, a lot of a lot of doing this podcast and, you know, I got a book out of a new book called Fights, Film and Folklore. And in order to promote that, you know, I go to my social uh, media networks, avenues, and I post a lot of things. And some people think I'm being real ignorant or, I've got, you know, when you put yourself out there so i'll get messages you know well you don't respect my grandparents and i'm going look it's it's different everywhere right and and i, I want to treat this with kitty gloves but um i'm skating five times a week and we're going out to eat here and there we're, we're still half capacity we do have precautions but it didn't you know it's not georgia it's, it's not ottawa at times or toronto or i'm not it's harder to control when you're somewhere that's easily 
accessible and you got so many people. So knock on wood, we've been fortunate. My life has been fairly normal. Um, at the worst of at worst of times, we were on total lockdown way back in the spring and I got to spend some good time with my daughter. So other now there's a push and a pull, obviously the, the, the economy could be a little bit better and my wallet could be a little bit better, but I'm getting by. I'm certainly not complaining. People are dying out there. Pods, people are losing their houses, everything else. I'm all right. I can't complain. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, it's, it's such a, it's such a strange beast. It really is. Right. Because there's the respect factor, obviously the people who are getting sick and those are, who can be in trouble. And then there's the other side of it where it seems like, you know, it doesn't touch, let's say like my kids, for instance, right? Like it's, it, kids are kind of immune to it. And then, so then you're dealing, you know, my, my life is really around hockey now, you know, whether it's minor or whether it's, you know, doing something like this. And, and we're in a scenario where we are grateful because we can still practice, like where the, the government has allowed us to practice, but there's no scrimmage or there's no games. And, and, um, and again, this is not like, oh, poor us, not at all. A lot of people are shut down, can't play at all. But it's just you start questioning it. You know me, I'm a curious guy too, and you dig into stuff and it's like, why like why is there such a restriction around hockey, right? With these yeah. kids playing or parents that can't go into a building that could hold ten thousand people and they can't socially distance in there, so they have to sit in the parking lot. It just seems like there's quite a bit of hypocrisy around well, no you know, one what knows. the what the regs it's all mean, a contradiction. Right? Like you, yeah. you want to respect it. I'm not ignorant to it. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to be, but you know, we get, we all, the whole world, like this was ground level stuff. We didn't know what was happening. And even the, the experts, you know, you want to, you want to err on the side of caution, obviously, but then how long, I'm just glad there's a vaccine because you, you could break it down all you want, but hypocrisy, contradictions, and sometimes it's not really intended. People are just trying to do their best. I'll give you an example. I don't know if this is happening, but remember when they were saying the OHL was going to go with no hitting? Yeah. So now, Think of the consequences of that. If if you're playing with no hitting, and I'm not sure where that is now. Um, I know it was going to be a thing. But I, I just don't see how that could happen. For example, are, are we saying that hitting causes COVID? Or, or, to me, you know, you're grinding in the corner. If, if I can't hit you, I'm probably going to get closer to you. You know, if, if the puck goes in the corner. And then not only that, if you're an OHL team and there's no hitting for you, it's going to, you know, you still want to win the championship. So guys... I don't know. I'm trying to think for, for you and I, let's say a guy in the Western league, like Dave Scatcher, let's say a good two-way player. He wasn't a goon, but he could fight. He could, the physical side kind of helped him. Let's say there's no hitting. Now there's going to be guys. So if you're an OHL owner and that was the scenario or, or a, a, a GM or a coach or whatever you might be, you're going to pick the team that you want to win. So now all of a sudden, if it's only shitty, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to put six. These guys are really going to help us for next year when we go for the OHL, where we go for the championship. But this year, they're not really going to help us. So let's totally have a different dynamic to our team if you want to win. I just think that would be the worst possible thing if we start adjusting for this one year in the way we approach sports and the way it's played and the way it's scouted. And, you know, it's just a, it's a big curveball because. Some leagues are going, some aren't. Some teams within those leagues are going, some aren't. The Newfoundland Growlers, I watched some great hockey players. They're in the East Coast League. They're in, not only in Canada, they're in Newfoundland. There's no way they're going to play. Yet there's teams in the States that are playing. So some of these prospects are getting noticed. Other ones don't have a place to play. Some people have a breakout year. I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I know, I know. Well, then the NHL's playing, you know, like, mm -hmm. I, I know there's, there's a small 
fa faction that like are are complaining about that. You know what I mean, but from a consistency standpoint, I get it. You know, like why why can the pros play yet my eight year old can't? I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. Really, it doesn't. They're traveling. They're doing all these things. If it's a pandemic, it's a pandemic. You I mean it should be all for one and one for all, but. Anyways, neither here nor there. We're going to get through this. It's going to be, uh, you know, we're getting the, this vaccine out. We're not going to have these conversations anymore, hopefully, right? And we'll just move yeah. on and, and get regular. But, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Can you imagine being a prospect right now? Like, this is your draft year, and you're I sitting on the sidelines? Like, my oh, God. Oh, not only that, I, I'm an example. I said to people, I mean, a 16-year-old in the Western League, I had a, a good year. I don't say a grad, 33 points. I know I came in as a big prospect. I was probably – I don't really remember, but going into my draft year – you know, we were doing IMG stuff. I'm not saying I was a slouch. I was probably rated in the third round. I, I don't really remember. But I know that my draft year really helped me. Like, I came out of nowhere. I was our most improved player, the Western League most improved. Like, you know, I went, I caught fire. Well, there's going to be some kid in his draft year now that doesn't have a chance to do that. I was just waiting to come out, you know. And, and there was other players that might, you know, you're, you're 16, you go in there and, you know, points aren't really a, a, a measure of, of success. It's getting used to the league and, and, you know, the next year or when you're 18, one of those years, you usually break out where there's kids going to break out or that aren't going to break out that you wouldn't have known. It's going to be a hard for the kids. It's going to be real hard, I think, for scouts, because th these years are the ones that people, you know, they're, they're, people, uh, the, the improvement, the development rate is chaotic. From well, I mean, it's, and it's, uh, I just had Tyler Wright on, right? He's director of amateur scouting for the Oilers. So we were just talking about him. And I mean, it's, it's such an imperfect science to begin with, as you know, right? You get two, you get two, two draft picks out of a round to play NHL games of any significance, and you've done an amazing job, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to get right at, at 18. I think it's one of the most underrated stats that people don't realize is how many of the scope that get drafted and then how many get signed, how many play, how many play. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's hard, right? First of all, it's hard for these scouts to get it right. And now, I mean, we had that discussion, like, can you imagine how many guys like from this draft coming up? I mean, within whatever, however it happens, like how many, how many more mistakes there's going to be, or, or even how many guys are going to get drafted in year two, when usually there's very few guys get drafted in their second year of eligibility, right? Like yeah. guys are just not going to get drafted and they're going to be 19 year olds now getting drafted. So that, that, the, the, this draft following this one's going to be really yeah i think too. you're going to see it in a, in a year or two you're really going to see a you're going to see some players that you're will be like wow I, I didn't realize they had this in them but you know like some guy just got drafted when he's 17 or 18 and you know <laughs> even if it was just the the physical changes in your body some people go boom oh put on three inches wow but there's really no way to quantify it if you're just playing shinny at home Right. Um, and the same thing for the for the female, uh, you know, the, around here, the, the, the female hockey, we got a girl, Maggie Connors, playing at Princeton from Newfoundland. And, you know, that ball was really rolling. I, I could see it because, you know, more and more women play all the time. I'm involved heavily in ball hockey and it's, it's shooting it, it, through the roof in, in uh, registration and development. But for, for the girls, too, and, 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 you know, we have the NHL you know, to watch and, and, and at least, you know, to pay attention to. And there's there's some form of news daily. I mean, if, if, if I think female hockey really took a hit here uh, because they, the ball was starting to roll there too. But, I mean, who didn't really? I'm just trying to, yeah. trying to, you know, at least get an idea of the scope of all of this. Uh, yeah. 
these kids now like can play like a kid like my oldest he's 11 he's on the you know top peewee team in vernon here and you know they they've been practicing like i said but they can't scrimmage and, and even for him like he's coming home now and saying oh i wish we could play you know like he's doing they're doing all the small area stuff and we're doing skill development but at the end of the day these guys want to play and then you got these 18 year old <clears throat> excuse me and you know that i've been working with with guys one-on-one -on -one in, in different capacities and and these guys that are like trying to get places right now yeah. like it's a mental grind right and like I'm trying to get them to position it as a massive advantage because you know it and I know it. There's tons of guys out there that are sitting on a couch and feeling sorry for themselves because they can't play. You know, like if you can take this six, seven months or whatever this is now for these guys, like and actually take strides forward in the development without being, you know, in a competitive arena, which you can do. It's hard to do, but you can do it like you're going to you're going to set yourself up when this thing comes out on the other side real nice. And, you know, there's also the other side of there's players. Just think about all the players that we played with and, you know, you, you, your prospects and you're working hard. But some guys need that extra little push. Some guys need and, you know, if they go a year at home and, you know, survival of the fittest. I'm not saying I feel bad for them, but you're going to see that change as well. I think you're going to see a lot. I mean, you already did when it first happened. Didn't Joel Ward retire? Some some NHLers. But that trickles down in these yeah. East Coast leagues and, and and central leagues and you know all over the world there's legends and and, and veterans in these communities and, and uh, leagues all over the world uh, you know i play in the minors you don't hear much about it but i mean go to boise idaho for example sold out most nights it's a heartbeat of their city there's players there when i played it was jeremy momak cal ingraham had been there for 10 years part of the community and that's going to change yeah. uh but that's the nature of the beast i, I just i'm just trying to point out the scope of it yeah yeah, well, these, I mean, you put um, that P word, right? Passion. I mean, I think that's, and commitment, right? Those two things right now for these younger guys is like, you're going to get tested. Like, I mean, what are you made of? I mean, you know, like, well, how exactly. bad do you want this, right? And I think, like you said, some of the guys are going to fall back. Some guys are going to step forward. And, um, you know, the guys that uh, that are going to take it a little bit more professional uh, at a younger age, like they're forced into it right now. I mean, they're going to, they are going to come out shining. Or I was one of those guys, like, I did it. I, I was, I worked hard. I can always put it, but like I needed to put, like I used to call Burnett or Mike Burnett, um, my agent at the time uh, with IMG. And, you know, those brainers, like I, I used to like going there because I knew if I was at home, like I'd work out, but it wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be the same. So um, IMG until I was drafted. And then I was, I, after I was drafted, it was in my contract. Montreal would give me, I forget. A few of us had it, five or 10 grand to pick wherever we wanted to work out. So Brad Brown and I went to Sweden one year for work on our skating. I went to Brock University, Brainerd, all over. And I knew because I could fly there and train with pros. And I just knew that that would take care of me. And we could have a good time, go out for beers on the weekend. And I could still get all the training done. But it's hard when you're, you, you know, it's harder for everybody when they're home. And everything's easy, especially when the world is shut off. Uh, maybe I'll, you know what? Okay, three weeks left in the month. I'll cheat for the month, and then I'll get into it. And then it's just yeah. easy to kick the can down the street. And so I used to love immersing myself with other pros. I'd be home for a little bit, but I'd be like, okay, boys, I'm gone. It must have been hard be for you, though. And, and it must have been hard for you, I, I'm assuming, just because I, I know that Newfoundland culture, and I know how how big hockey is there as well. So to be... A homegrown essentially you know prodigy coming home and you're the talk of the town and the toast of the town and you know to keep your to keep your eyes on that prize right yeah, without right. 
yeah, it would be hard. Extreme, I with imagine. George Street right there. Yeah. With George Street right there, which which is a fun, it's a fun place. It's so, but it's a fun place. Uh, so, I only have great memories down there. Um, you know, George Street. For those that don't know, it's, I guess you could say one of the party capitals of Canada. But real party is one way to put it. But it's just a vibe. It's you know you. Even if I'm not having beers, I'll go down to Greensleeves for a bite to eat, see Lex and Steph. How, hey, what's going on? Maybe see the live band. George Street's a, the heart and soul of at least uh, the entertainment slash food industry of New, uh, drink industry of Newfoundland or St. John's. And I, yeah, and I would love that. And I would love to train hard, but uh, it, it's just, you know, and everybody wanted to, to, to please me or the same thing for Alex Newhook, Dawson Mercer now, World Juniors. Congrats on their silver, get that plug in. And the boys went in the first round last year and the year before. They're from Newfoundland. Same thing. Alex, I, I talked to him more than Dawson, but he loves coming home. I skate with him, but you know, he's home for three weeks. It, it, it's just the way they love, you know, they love you here. You go to the mall as a professional, you don't even have to be NHL. If you're Zach O'Brien's a good example, doesn't have any NHL games, got a Calder Cup in the AHL, uh, MVP of the playoffs for the Growlers. Newfoundland, he's overplaying in Germany. If Zach walks through the mall, he has to sign autographs. Right? It's just, there's, just comes with being in a smaller place. Yeah, I love that, though. That's I mean, it's such a great vibe there. Yeah. Newfoundland, you yeah. know how much I like my time there. It was great. But let's get back to you. So, I mean, you talked about that draft year uh, where you did, you know, big coming out party, 50 goals, ended up climbing up the, the rankings, ended up being eighth overall. But let's even rewind a little farther than that because, um, you know, I, I – I said child prodigy earlier, and I mean you. Kind, I mean you essentially were right. I mean you were you were somebody that that tore up minor hockey um, from Newfoundland. That was, um, like I said at the time, there was only a few guys that had come out of there before, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so you were kind of like this big shiny, shiny coin, and you had to leave early. Um, and I didn't have to, I guess, but decided to, which was uh, which was sounds like it was, it was seniors' sort of idea there to say, you know, let's let's maybe. Uh, take a look at this uh, out West. Why don't you walk us through a little bit of that scenario. You, you as a minor hockey league player and then coming out West to play with uh, Quinnell at 14 years old. Sure. Well, yeah, my minor hockey, and I, I'm not bragging when I say you're right. I, I was a prodigy. I, 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 when I was, my, see my, my dad coached the local junior team, junior B team, but they were the best in Atlantic Canada. They went undefeated. And I mean, as you can think, dad came back from pro and they had some good players and not everybody was leaving. No one was leaving really. In the eighties was no different. We all, we still had good players in the nineties. We had, I don't know, a hundred players play major junior and pro, not NHL. I'm saying somewhere because the door opened and there's leagues everywhere. So guys that you probably wouldn't have heard of like Chris Peach or Derek Clancy, uh, or Jeff Loader, you know, th these guys left and, and, you know, but that wasn't a thing in the eighties. Mm -hmm. So the junior B league here was fantastic. The senior league here was fantastic. Mario Roberge played in Port of Basque in 91, 92, 92, 93, won the Stanley cup with uh, Montreal. Bill McDougall played in Port of Basque in 91, 92, 92, 93. He led the American hockey league playoffs with 52 points in 16 games, 52 points in 16 games a year before he's playing for Port of Basque in the Newfoundland league. <laughs> like, so that's what I mean. We, we had this great hockey junior seat. Like it was crazy. So, you know, Jupiter, John Slaney, before he left, Harold Drukin, they played junior here. So, um, but was that foresight then like to say, okay, like, so there was great hockey there. So it wasn't like you had to leave to get great hockey, but it, it seems like maybe yeah, you thought you had no to one, leave to be, to be a someone. Yeah. I don't think, I think, I think we were, I, I, what's it? 
we had a little bit of a defeatist attitude, first of all. I've often said, like, I, I played national competitions. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to either be on Team Newfoundland or win to go from Newfoundland in ball hockey, ice hockey, soccer, and baseball. And in each sport, maybe not ball hockey, actually, but in the other three, because um, we could win, but you'd usually play the host first game, so they'll pace you 10 to 1. Everybody gets a free hot dog, and the host is happy in Newfoundland. Oh, shucks, they love trying. You know, like, they'll give you a good game. They're not going to give up. That's usually what it was. So, and we hadn't really nothing to go by. I, I mean, my dad played in the seventies. Uh, Tony White had twenty-seven goals in the seventies for Washington. It was uh, there was an influx in the seventies because Howie Meeker basically and Joe Byrne came here to run minor hockey. Uh, that's a long story, but that's part of it. It's a big part of it. Eighties, not much. It's not like it wasn't talent here. So, I really wasn't thinking that I would make the NHL. To be honest, I wasn't even. Even I started. 12 turning 13 is when first it hit. Like we were, we won the provincials here 16 to nothing. I had eight. It was getting to the point that it was really bad for my development. So I knew I had to do something. I thought it was going to be played junior here. And I still didn't think the development was, was to be the NHL. I was like, hopefully I'll get a scholarship. My dad was always in my head. He's like, you know, it's real hard. I'm telling you, I went through it. It's real hard. Everything got to go right. You could be talented. You got to have the right billets. You got to not get hurt. You, you got to not be in love and want to go home. There's all homesickness for lots of reasons. He's like, I'm telling you, it's survival of the fittest. If you can get a college scholarship, and I know you can. So at 12, 13, that was what I was thinking. Not that he didn't have confidence, but come on. If you're telling your kid at 12 they, they're going to play in the NHL, there's something wrong. There's lots of obstacles. Um, so I went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. That's what happened. And I played. and all of a sudden I realized because it's the biggest minor hockey tournament. There was 150 teams. We were in the international B division. Uh, Mount Pearl had gone every year, never really win a game. And if you, the way it works, it, it took place at the Colisee where the, uh, where the uh, Quebec Nordiques played. So if you, if you win, you get to keep playing in the Colisee. If you lose, you go in the consolation. You, there's a rink in the mall there. There's rinks all over and it's a bit, a bit of fun, but if you win, you keep playing. So we won. And then we won again. And then we played Switzerland and we won. And it was largely, I'm not, look, I was almost a foot taller. That was almost my size now. I had a growth spurt. I was one of the best. I won the best peewee in Atlantic Canada as a first year. Okay. Right. Then I put on about five inches. Okay. And I have a second year coming. And everybody knew it. They tried to put me up to Bantam. Hockey Canada wouldn't let it happen. So I played peewee. And we went undefeated. And it was we went to Quebec, yeah, and I was ripping it up. And there was a big article, second day there, third day there. Open the paper, it says, Terry Ryan, a retenir, um, a name to remember. And it was a huge, the first, I got it in there somewhere. Maybe a break, I got it in there. Uh, and anyway, and then I realized that, and the year before we had gone, when I was a first year, and it was Jeff O'Neill was that guy, playing yeah. for Richmond Hill. It was a big thing, Jeff O'Neill. And I remember going, the boys are like, geez, you're, you're Jeff O'Neill this year. I remember it. Jeremy Charles looked at me. You're Jeff O'Neill this year. I went, wow, I am. And there was a guy came down. And I mean, I was scoring at will. A guy came down with a card to play in the Vancouver Super Series. And he wanted me to play with his team. It was either Vancouver or Team BC. It was one of those. And I took it home to dad and I said, I want to go. I want to go play. Um, these guys are the best in, in Western Canada. If I could be that at the Quebec Peewee tournament, then maybe I could do something. And dad said, I know you can do something, but what we're going to do is take a team Newfoundland. We're going to take our own team because there's, 
look, he, he, he said, he goes, if you're this good, you, you don't think Danny Cleary, you, you don't think Dave Penny, you don't think Kurt Walsh, Brian Bercy, you know, if you're that good, then they're at least this good. Like, you know, because there was good players here. Yeah. So I said, yeah. And, and he said, you know, the 76s are a little bit better than the 77s. I was born in 77. So he said, you'll move up a year and we'll take Team Geo to the Vancouver Super Series. You're not going to go on your own. I said, okay, let's do this. So we went out. As you know, we went out to play in the Super Series in 91, 92, I guess it was. And I ended up getting the most promising player because I was a year young. I think I finished fourth in scoring, but I was a year younger than everybody. Again, and them were playing, but they were in the lower division. So that's when Tri-City came down, Ron Toigo, Chico Resch were there. And like one game they came down, but by the fourth game, and I was hanging in there. And then at the end, to be honest with you, Pods, we hung in there with every team. Like I said, host. My story, my host, sure enough, we go out there. We're playing Vancouver in Vancouver at the Sun God Arena, uh, and we're Newfoundland. And I'm sure exactly what they thought. It was a summer tournament. Joe Sackick dropped the puck. And, I'm, you know, there's a lot of people. You played in that tournament. There's like two or 3,000 people there to see the first game. And whatever it filled, fit, and um, we tied them 6-6. And people were blown away. We were blown away. And all the possibilities in all of our heads started going, holy shit, like we're as good as these guys are, which eh, we had a bit of a lucky game. But um, <laughs> we we, we we didn't win, but we tied three games. We lost two, six to five. And the only game we got blown out was the final game against Manitoba. And it was the first night I remember in my life because we were in Vancouver. We were all first year. I was first year Bantam. They were second. I was going into. And um we, we, we put on Vaseline and pepper on our faces and we got to go, we got into a bar. <laughs> it looked like stubble, right? Put the, put the hat down like this. And we went out like, and, and we were from all over Newfoundland. So we were used to being enemies, right? It was none of this social media or like, yeah. you know, love your, love your teammate or, you know, you, you know, or, or sorry, your opponent. Um, so it was great to get to get to know all the best players in Newfoundland. And then against Manitoba, we went out and we put it up. We lost 10 to nothing, but first shift, First shift, Mike Leclerc, I'll never forget it, and Vern Beardy. You remember those guys they played against us? Yeah. They were out. And Leclerc cross-checked me. I went right back at him, and then I ended up fighting Vern Beardy. For, yeah, fighting first year battle. But the Western League at the time, they <laughs> loved it. Chico Resch came down and Ron, and they said, this is what we're going to do. And you want to come out uh, at 14. you you got to live out here to be drafted. And the, the draft in, in the Western League is when you're 14. As you know, we are both high picks in that. And I ended up going third in that. Uh, Redden went first. But, but anyway, that's kind of going further. They, I had to go find a place. So they put me in Quinnell to hide me because they were picking like number 16 for some reason. And then I ended up like making the junior team in Quinnell and lead my team in scoring. So then the word got out there. There was a story on TSN and then they traded up to get number three. Traded Dean Tilchin a 50 goal score. Not that there was any pressure, not that there was any pressure on me coming in. They all knew, oh, geez, this is who we gave a 50 goal score with two years left of junior. So anyway, um, uh, that's that's how it all went down. And the best part of that story is that Kurt Walsh went right to the OHL, ended up being a third-round pick for Buffalo. Uh, Dave Penny went and played Junior A in Prince George. Mike Pittman played in Guelph on, on, on Jeff O'Neill's line, played four years in Guelph, still works there, married a girl. Uh, about seven or eight of us ended up playing – and. Virtually everybody went somewhere because the rest of them went to the Maritime Junior League. From that Super Series team you're talking about. Yeah, and, and yeah, it was nothing. It was just a guy giving me a card in Quebec. And that's why and, – and from there, Pogues, from there it really took off. Four years before – or sorry, in 1991, we had a guy, John Slaney, 
It was rare. It was lightning in a bottle. But he left. You see, a lot, a lot of scouts would come here is the reason. Is well, the, sure. big no, reason. No, the Maple yeah. Leafs wouldn't come there and watch no. it with the, with the Baby Leafs. I mean, scouts weren't coming. Yeah, with you guys already here. So yeah. I should say we had to defeat his attitude, but it was more because of that. There was no scouts coming here to get us away. And we, you know, if we went, we'd try our hardest. That may be too easy of a term, defeatist. But we just, we, we, we always felt like we were the real, real, real big underdog which sometimes is a good thing, but I'm just saying as a rule, none of us grew up going, we're actually going to play in the NHL. And then like 10 years later, like six of us did. But I think that got the ball rolling. Slaney was lightning in a bottle, but still no one was it four years later, 95 I go. And the next year, or the next year, Harold Drukin goes 30th. The next year, Cleary goes 13th. And then of course, Ryan Clough, Michael Ryder, Adam Party, Luke Adam. Now, all of a sudden, people started coming here to watch us. Our, our AAA program got great. The Quebec League has basically got a player that got scouts, every team that live here at this point. So no one's going unnoticed. That's but a guy great. like Michael Ryder, when I came up, you would never know. He's from Bonavista. He could have scored 300 goals in half a season, and we wouldn't have gone anywhere. No one would have known him. All right. You you, you kind of brushed over the uh, the fact when you were in Quinell there. So, like, the the – so the Americans bring you out kind of on this secret uh, CIA type mission and, and they think that you're going to play midget that year um, in Cornell or Bantam. I, th yeah. I think Bantam, I, I wasn't really thinking about it. I right. was thinking it's BC. They got Bantam AAA here. We don't have it. So yeah. I went out thinking I was playing Bantam. Right. Now, and then, and then you tried out for that junior B team. Yeah, but I, right, because I had to start school. So right. I'm going to play Bantam in my head. At the most midget. I knew they had a midget team. Maybe I'll play that, but I don't, I, I really don't know. Again, poets, I played peewee here with no hitting. So to me, midget AAA and BC sounds like a, a, a stretch, let alone junior. But once I get there, I'm in Quinnell. You know how it works. A lot of the local guys are playing. And, you know, I go to the Bantam. And well, you were big too, right? Which was another, yeah. which was a, which was an advantage, of course. I was, I was big. I was yeah. big. So when I was playing Bantam, actually, I remember being a little bit too aggressive because, like, I, I was big, and even as a first-year Bantam, because so, I did go to Bantam practice in Quinnell and see how I'd fare out. But I remember seeing guys, and it's still a small town. It's good, good in BC, but, you know, Quinnell is as big as Mount Pearl, where I'm from. So, But in my head, it's BC. They're all going to be great. But I found, like, I'd, 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 I'd look at the smaller players, and I'd ran, like, boom, like, earth, and I'm not a great hitter. But I was because I was bigger than some of these guys, and I was just a better on my feet. So it was almost bad for that reason. When I played junior, you know, I went out, what, what I did, I put on, the, I loved the visor and they let me play with no visor in exhibition. And I just went out with the junior team and then I went out again and I started scoring and then they put me with two of the toughest guys and one could really put the puck in the net. So I wasn't getting touched and I'm going, and I wasn't looking to hit anybody now because I'm kind of nervous. I'm actually a little bit scared when I'm out there, but I'm yeah. scoring. So I guess they just, and Tri-City loved the idea. And then they, 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 they not only had me there, they said, you know what, this is going to be all right. We'll make it a loose affiliate. So they, they, Sheldon Surrey came. They needed him yeah. to improve his skating. Uh, Sheldon had a cannon from day one, but, you know, he was a work in progress. And there was a couple other guys, Bud Howell and Andrew Laming, and there was a couple other ones that came up. I, I don't think much amounted, but they always had somewhat of an affiliation. Kerry Price ended up playing in Cornell a right. few years later. Uh, but, but that's what happens. And Cornell, if they didn't take me in, though, that was a really touchy situation at the time. And with no, like, it was a lot more loosey-goosey and you're a lot more on your own. I'm glad I had my dad. But, you know, with that booze, drugs, women, uh, you know, off-ice stuff, I'm 14 playing in a – not only junior A, it wasn't like going to, like, 
um, Surrey, where like half the team are prospects that are going to go NCAA. This was a bitter drink in town. I, I love them. But this was Cornell, BC. Like, go up there. Most of us are mill workers. Piss us off. We're going to fight you. Go to the barn. There's going to be a John Denver song on at some point, and everybody's going to throw down. You know, like, you're like, yeah, like, it's it's tough. So um, I I loved it, but there was no one looking out for me. So, like, Chris right. Spencer and Dave Standing, two guys who were rough around the edges, but it knew Dave actually got caught going over the court, uh, kayak, going over the border in a kayak lined with drugs when he was like 15. So he was a prospect with Tri-City. He got sent there, but there was people that had, had seen and known. And when I say that, I mean that with love because he saw a little bit of him in me. He was a huge prospect and a guy, Chris Spencer, who could really throw, couldn't skate that well, but was an all-star and, you know, just was our fighter. So I, I and, they could have easily, easily, easily said, you know, you're not from here. You know where you're going. We don't. We're trying to get a scholarship, right? You know you're going to Tri-City. You're wasting a spot for some. But they didn't. They did for about a month. But once I once I fought and, and once I stayed and even in school, you know, I had zits on my face. I spoke. If you think I have an accent now, Rhodes, you lived here. I spoke like a taxi driver from Monday Pond. That's the way I spoke. So... You know, then they were was laughing at me. I had zits. I, I'd never been laid before. And all, I took care of all that in the first month. But it, that's why. I went. <laughs> but it, once I fought a couple times, they all were behind me and I could do no wrong. And I, I spent two years there and I absolutely loved it. And by the time, I know I'm talking off, but that I always say was a huge advantage. And Quinnell has as much to do with my family. I'm telling you, they accepted me. And when you get confidence, I ended up leading the team and scoring two years as a bantam. I have great memories. But when I went to Tri-City, all of a sudden, I'm 16. BJ Young was a great player. BJ played bantam the year before. All these guys coming in played bantam at the most midget. I played junior for two years against Grant Job, Lenny Forshner, uh, you know, Reno Bonazzoni, guys that wanted to kill me. And so it wasn't as much of an adjustment for me to go into Seattle and play against Brandon Witt. It was, right. it was hard. It wasn't great. But... I was like, the other guys were like, oh, my God, what is this? I was saying, I remember saying to BJ, well, I feel a little bit at ease because at least these games are on tape. So if Brendan Witt does something to me, he'll get arrested. Because, like, in Fort St. John, that wasn't the case. In Fort St. John, they were trying to turn over our bus. I remember going, like, something criminal might happen here. Not that it did, but, you know, I remember thinking, well, at least these games are on tape. So, you know, going into Spokane in the Boone Street burn was, I'm sure, must have been riveting for and almost scary for a 16 year old coming in that had never seen that for me it was oh, a yeah. bit of fun right yeah so you it was more that, time that rivalry talk. was um i had tom cowell on back geez i don't know what episode he was yeah but, i listened you know, to 20 that year, yeah that. 20 year nhl referee and he was talking about that was the if you got that assignment as a ref spokane versus tri-cities and whl you were you were uh, like you were on the up and up because that was the hardest game in the in the league to uh, to ref and he's everyone wanted it on their calendar. So you know what's funny? At the time, I remember I distinctly remember this in the room. I remember where I was sitting. I remember Mark Hurley here. I remember Damon over here. And I said to them, we were going out to play like our fucking like twentieth game of the season again. And I'm going, you know, imagine what we got in store for us. I said like, if this is a rivalry. Like, I can't wait to see what it's going to be like in pro. And it remains the best. I didn't realize that at the time. It remains. Whatever league I've ever played in, what it remains the biggest rivalry is those games against Tri-Cities. I thought there was so much more. But, no, 
that was the biggest thing <laughs> yeah. that a rivalry that I've ever you had. You don't it's know what you don't know, right? It, it's not only that, it was a rivalry, but each time you guys would win like by scoring with like three seconds left, or we'd win in overtime. It, it wasn't it wasn't like it was ever like, oh, four games or nothing. You know, even in the regular season, it was swinging back. No one yeah. had, we seem to have these really even teams that were, you know, you were splitting hairs saying if one was better than the other. And it always worked out like that. I remember uh, my 16 year old year. See, obviously you, you weren't there yet, but it was, I had just come out of Sherwood park um, playing with the flyers with, you know, yeah. it was, it was one of the best Bantam teams ever. Put, ever, assembled, ever. To I'm, be honest. I'm well aware of all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so Lanks and I were line mates essentially the entire year I was centered. Dubinsky was on the right side and Lanks was a left winger. Right. So we played together all year. I mean, spent, hours together away from the rink and uh so he's playing in tri-cities i'm playing in spokane it was the first first game of the regular season it was my you know i mean i played as a 15 year old right like in the so as uh you know the season before so it wasn't my first ever game as a whl player but it was my first game that season right as a 16 yeah. year old you're, you're like me i played three games at 15 i don't know right yeah and uh and yeah so there's a line brawl of course right spokane seattle <laughs> i mean spokane tri-cities there's a line brawl game one we're in tri-cities and lanks is on the ice Right. So I grabbed Lanks and you know, I mean, you know me, I would fight too, but like, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't going to fight Lanks and I thought, okay, so Lanks and I got each other and Lanks like gives me like the old possum, right? Like, oh yeah. Like, I, and then he like pushes me off to go jump this 20 year old defensive of mind. Right. So now he's getting suckered in the back. I got to jump on Lanks. Like everyone's pissed off. I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of the guys are pissed off at me because I lost my guy in the, in the, anyways, yeah, that was yeah. like a big eye opener too. It's like, thanks, you prick. I'm You're learning how to do that again. <laughs> that, that's on the spot training, right? Yeah, exactly. Like for each one of those, and a lot of it happens in the WHL for the first time. Like there was a whole lot of firsts for me in that, in that league. It, that I, I remember 99% with absolutely total affection, but just something like that. Like, you know, how do you handle yourself? And, and it's there's a different ring to it when you start playing these TV games too. Um, yeah. uh, I remember just going, "Wow, I didn't even know this um, Northeast. I don't, I don't know what it was. This this television network until like my second year. I'm like, well, when we go to Seattle, all the games are on TV. I remember watching it, just loving it. And and you know, the crowds that we would get. No offense against the East at the time. But I remember going over for the first time to play in Prince Albert and Swift Current and everything going, wow, like, and they're great towns. I mean, I played in Red Dirt and I loved it. I'm just saying, and Red Dirt gets good crowds. It was just at the particular time, especially where you and I played for American teams. We had a big American division, man. We had Portland, Seattle, Tacoma, Tri-City, and Spokane. Mm -hmm. And in our little division, though, like, three of those rinks so i often played in front of fifteen thousand people like but by the time i was 17 and people laugh but now i'm glad that youtube i can show this shit because i'm like i told you this is portland this is where the trailblazers played we come in and play on friday and they play saturday and i'm like and you guys moved on to a rink with ten thousand people and more often than not it was sold out when we played you right and then you you go over or the other leagues you know i did some scouting here and there for for different people over the years and you know you go to games in atlantic canada and it, it's great I mean, i'm not talking about the talent i'm not saying that these cities aren't great or or it's great to vibe to watch games in Miranda or wherever i'm just saying at the time there was an nhl field playing in seattle i don't care what you say and not everybody in the chl got that experience yeah. Eighteen thousand people and you can look at it you know look back at, at highlights and, and you're like wow that was junior right 
Alrighty, we'll just take a short break from the podcast here. Uh, the interview with Terry Ryan, which I'm sure you've been chuckling uh, more than once, uh, to tell you a little story. So I had a gentleman by the name of Ryan Mead reach out to me. Ryan Mead is one of the co-hosts of Blue Shirts Breakaway, which is a perennial top 10 podcast in the hockey world in both the United States and in Canada. Covers the New York Rangers. And... Uh, and Ryan reached out to me over Twitter, and uh, I'm going to read you his message. So I'd never met Ryan before, and he says, Greetings, Jason. I don't know how you did it, but I'm about halfway through this Quinn, this David Quinn interview, and this has to be the most extensive interview Quinn has ever given. Tremendous insight into his thinking process and background. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't jealous. Tremendous job. So super kind words from a man who's around the Rangers all the time, obviously follows all the players and the coaches and uh, knows what he knows. And to uh, get a, you know, get a message like that, obviously, it, uh, it warmed my heart. It made me feel good. I expressed my appreciation for him doing that. Uh, he even took it one step further and got on a call with me to discuss the podcasting world or universe, for lack of a better word. He's been in it forever. I've been in it, obviously, only for about a year and still trying to figure it all out. And uh, so we had a yeah, we had a little chalk talk about about podcasting. And uh, I was asking a bunch of questions, and Ryan was gracious enough to take uh, the time to uh, to answer them. And one of the things he said was that reviews do matter. He says they matter a lot, especially um, on the uh, podcasting platform that allows them, which is Apple iTunes. Uh, 80% of his listeners, and it's about the exact same for me, about 80% of uh, my listeners uh, choose to download from Apple, and Apple allows reviews. So he says, I mean, the more reviews, the higher placement you get in organic searches, the more Apple will recommend your podcast to others. So he says it really is um, of fundamental importance uh, to, to increase them. And one of the tricks that he used, I shouldn't say a trick, one of the strategies he used um, was to start a segment called Five Star Questions. Uh, and he suggested that I could try it too because he said it really worked for them. So uh, what it is, we're going to try because I know how many of you actually listen because I get to see the stats and I know how many reviews there are. So I'm super grateful for those of you who have left a review, but I know that there's many more of you that still have not done that. Uh, it really is like we're talking less than a minute probably to, uh, to take the time to do it. So uh, if you would like to ask a question that would get... Um, on the air, I would answer it on the air. Uh, your name could be would be recognized on the air. Uh, all you have to do is leave a five star review on iTunes and attach your question to it. That would be amazing. If you actually want to say something nice about the show, that would be amazing too. Um, but just ask your question, leave five stars. I'll go through uh, any of the ones that are there and I'll pick one or all of them or who knows what I'll do, but I'll definitely read off one of them. And um, yeah, ask me anything about mindset, about character, about development, about uh, anything to do with my career, hardest player to play against, anything about any of the guests, whatever you want, ask whatever it is, whether you're a coach, player, or parent, and I'll answer it on the air. So we're going to try that. We're going to take a page out of Ryan Mead's book with the Blue Shirt Breakaways, and we're going to try and increase um, the reviews here because I know a lot of you do find value, and I, and I know there's many of you that can still um, take the time to, to leave a review. So that's it. Five-star reviews. Pause the episode right now and go leave one and give me, uh, give me a question. It'll get read right on the next episode. And until then, we'll get you back to 
our current episode here with Terry Ryan for some more laughs and some more insights. Till then, cheers. The uh, well, you you already mentioned the Boone Street Barn there and spoke. You know, which was just an epic uh, arena for for WHL play. It was it was awesome the way it was set up and. Like, and just for everyone listening, like it was, it was, uh, it used to be a place where they'd have the ballet, like would come in, like these road shows would come in and, and yeah. like the, the tag on the bottom of the, of the t-shirts for Spokane was it ain't the ballet. And, and my goodness, was it not the ballet? And, and we'd have to like walk through the crowd to get to our dressing room because the dressing room was on the second floor and there'd be people lined up. And I mean, it was just such a crazy experience. Super awesome. And then we had that new rink, which like you said, at I think 10, five it held. And that was a year that we, uh, we were the number one ranked team in the CHL and, yeah. uh, and my gosh, like people were, and then that was before internet, obviously like you had to call in or be there to get your tickets. And there was people that would camp out like outside the arena and it was sold out in minutes. And it was just like a crazy vibe that year. It was so awesome. Like, like you said, I mean, it's, it's so close to like an NHL feel and vibe and you're, and you're 18, 19 years old. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. You know, what's funny, Pods? I am um, in 95, 96, so the first, I went with Montreal. They kept me for their entire camp and they put me in a couple of late exhibition games to get some experience. You know, where the first ones are in like Halifax somewhere, but the, yeah. the, the last ones are in, in the forum and we played the Bruins and then we played in Maple Leaf Gardens against the Leafs. So they let me play those two games to get some experience. And uh, I knew I was going back. So Jacques de Mercer, you're going to miss the first two games in Tri-Cities. Your, your first game is going to be in Spokane. But I didn't know you guys had a new rink. So I, I flew in, I got in late, and, and you're exactly right. I remember going, geez, there was people outside. There was, like, large. And, and as I went in, there was people scalping tickets. So I'm like, where am I? I had no idea you guys had a new ring. I went in to skate around, and it was the most pleasant surprise that I remember uh, for that year. It was wild. What a rink. And you guys seemed to catch fire. What a time to catch fire. And, and, and you know, that and you were not only rated number one, didn't they host it, like, a year or two later? Yeah, and, yeah, and won it when they hosted yeah. it, and they won it when they hosted it. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, that was no, yeah. that was cool. You, so you, you and Junior, so Junior B, so you're you're a big guy. You ended up like you said, you ended up learning how to fight, kind of on junior your feet. A. Yeah, in Junior A. Oh yeah, sorry, Junior A. Right now it's Junior B. So I just uh, I get I get right. crossed up with that. Um, but were you like, did you know that was in you? Like, were you a fighter off the ice, like growing up? Or was that just something that you did on the no, ice? Uh, okay. Okay. Yes. But the thing is not in the sense that you would think much. If you watch my fights playing pro, it's usually in a, def in, in a like Chris Lyon says, I'm a defender. You're a defender. But I was more of that. I didn't really like going out and starting them. I don't really remember what I did unless it carried over from the game before. Um, there's a few things. Growing up, I'm an only child, first of all, um, and I skipped a grade. So everybody in my grade was your age, and I'm a year younger. So, but again, I was your normally, it wasn't like I was smaller or anything. But as I started to come on and be, I went to a school, there's three or four schools in Mount Pearl Elementary Schools. Well, the particular one, up to grade nine, junior high, the particular one I went to was uh, rough around the edges, would probably be the way to put it at the time. And, um, all my buddies. So on the Mount Pearl Blades, which was our hockey team, I was the only one in Mary Queen of the World where I went. Again, great memories. I'm just telling you the way it was. I, I hate to put them down, but th this was the case. Was, if there was fights going down, it was at Mary Queen of the World. I was the only player in my, whereas St. Peter's, everybody else on my team or 
or um, Morris Academy, junior high, sorry, everybody else went there. I was, again, was the only player on, and there's, so two classes of grade nine, say when I was in grade nine, um, grade eight, whatever. We're right, right all the way up, but particularly then I started getting fights before I left. So, but people would, it, it was all bullies. And I, I just all of a sudden got some confidence when I got bigger and I got a few off the ice. And then I almost started going down a list of bullies. I, it, it, people would like, I mean, like, I mean, the kind that, hey, I'm going to fight you after school and show up. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. Show up and like, you know, 100 people, kids sticking around, Frank Chalk showing up, uh, uh, coins in his hand, like those kind of things. Uh, Again, I, I was really happy-go-lucky. I might have bent the rules a little bit. I went on a few bottle drives for my team that that weren't real. We were just saving the money for something else. You know, I was, but I really wasn't violent at all. Just like now, when I drink or something, I'm not a violent. It doesn't come into my head. But I got this. I got my back up for bullies, and I don't know if it was because I was bullied so much. You know what I mean? Because like a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people in my grade, same grade nine, American, a lot of them had failed. I skipped a grade. I'm their size, and I'm the pretty boy. That wears his chip and pepper. I wear the Varney shirts. I'm scoring. I'm in the paper, right? Oh, we're gonna play volleyball. I'll never play before. I'll play. Oh, he's our best player. You know, fuck him. You know, like it was that thing. Uh, and a lot of people just, you know, knew a lot of people at the time. It wasn't monitored as much, and a lot of big bully types wanted to fight, and then it it, it spilled over. Oh, it's like sure. How do I say it? I remember being at our all Newfoundland in Pee Wee, okay, and provincial championships. The rink was sold out to see me play. Yeah, obviously to see everybody play, but I'm telling you it was unique. At the time, they're all there to see me fail, hopefully. So I get a penalty shot early in the game, and the entire, well, I'm sure some people weren't, but it was like, you know, it, the Rocky movies, Rocky, right? It was asshole, every asshole. As I, I mean, you could hear it outside. That's the kind of thing that was happening. So I had my uh, my buddies in Mount Pearl, my and we won everything. We won baseball. We won soccer. We won hockey. They hated us. And I remember taking that shot, and I was so mad, I was crying, almost at a rage though. And then I took the face off, and I went bar down. I missed the shot, went bar down, and then went over and did this one. And then I become public enemy number one, right? I had to get. I was as bad. I was as bad. But yeah, yeah did I? So when I went out there, I didn't think it had happened on the ice. I was terrified to play junior, to be honest, Pods. And I went out there in my first fight. A guy kind of jumped me and he beat me real good. And then I just realized and I came back at him. It's a long story. I'm sure you've heard it on Spitting Chickens or whatever. I put hot sauce on my hands. I, 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 I shaved up my helmet. So when he hit me, because I knew he was going to hit me more than I was going to hit him, it chafed up his hands and they bled. And I did what I could, man. And I beat him. And then I realized shortly, I mean, my... my that first year in Cornell, I think I had 222 penalty minutes, right? Not so crazy. I fought, I played, but I just realized after a while that I just didn't have a fear of it. And, well, you know, you even to put it on the other side, like I, I heard you talk before, and maybe even it was just uh, us in a discussion offline where you, you, you made a point of actually going, you said you didn't instigate, but you, you did, I thought, tell me that you made a point of like going out and taking on a yeah. Brandon Witt, like first shift, just to say. Yeah, yeah, well, well, first of all, first of all, I, I really did fear getting hit going through the middle. That I had four concussion syndrome, post-concussion syndrome. They all came with that kind of thing happening. So I didn't like it at all. Like I remember like 
get, happening a couple times, I'd way rather take a take a punch. So I would often go after a guy like that. So he'd be a little bit hesitant, not saying he wouldn't do it, but a little bit hesitant on lighting me up coming through the middle. And I found it got me a little bit of room. So in the Western League, it, it's mathematics. Brian McCabe on your team, I mean, he was he wasn't easy to play against. He was talented, but I mean, he was corkscrew with his cross check slash cross check in front, then slash right on the foot. He was good at getting guys clear in the front of the net, but I found if you just played a little bit tough back at them, or you know, you fought that you might get they're not going to lay up on you, but you might get an extra second or two in front. And over the course of the year, if I'm on the ice, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game and 72 games, and I get that many more seconds, then I'm going to deflect 10 more in that way. And I'm going to get five more rebounds that way. And while I'm skating with the puck, whatever, I might get knocked off. It, I might it, Mistakes might happen like they're going to. But I found if I could buy myself those little moments and that little tiny bit of space, then it helped. And if people just knew that I was at least a respectable fighter, I never went out after anybody. How many times? My penalty minutes were all fights. I don't remember. Like, I don't slash. I don't even, like, I don't even give vicious hooks. I, I don't go out to hit people from behind. I try to play hard. That's it. But I think I had respect from tough guys a lot because I didn't. As as time went on, it's not like I was out there rooting guys or spearing you in the balls or anything. I was playing hard, but that was part of it too. I wanted respect to have confidence out there, and I just didn't. Like, I didn't like the anxiety that came with it either, Pods. Like, right. but naturally, to answer it all, did I fight too much? Yes, but I, I think that happened when I went pro. It started to be that I was like on on the menu for the for the tough guys. Right. Well, where was, was your where was your identity like at? at I, I, what I mean by that is, yeah, should know, have been scoring. But was it? I mean, actually, you you definitely. Yeah. I never I never seen a guy. Uh, you rank up there with guys that you could tell like the joy in their eyes when they scored. You know, what I mean, like you you thoroughly enjoyed a goal. So I'm not going to say you didn't. But like, um, yeah, where did you find that balance with you? Was it about scoring, or was like where did you find the respect? No, for I didn't. Terry I, Ryan? I did, first of all, I didn't find the right balance. I still go back, and it was the era, and I'll do. I can justify the fights, but. Codes, I, I, and a lot of it was anxiety, and I couldn't, I remember, like, a lot of it, sometimes the game would start, and, like, I don't want to be thinking about fight, fighting Francis Lassard for the whole game. I'm not going to be the same with the puck, but I found if I fight him first shift, then I don't think about it at all, that I'm just playing, but I didn't like, though, and, and, and some about it, so uh, some of them were that. Um, it certainly didn't help when I went to Fredericton that Michelle Tyrion, I, again, I, I don't want to blame the guy, it's years and years later, but definitely, I never got the tap till I went there. Junior, it was a lot of my feisty about a lot of that bullying coming out, a lot of just being in the Western League. I fought a little bit, too, but I still wasn't like a heavyweight there. I, I just I had balls, but I was an underdog going into those fights. I mean, I was fight Belak, right? You, you would still fight I did. this guy. You know, I would, you'd... I would, I did fight Belak. But if we if we played you guys, um, it would probably be Jeremy Thompson or someone like that go with Kevin Sawyer, and the game might go on, and then eventually I might. I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't. But in Fredericton, it was the opposite. It was like the game starts, Terry, by Lois. And I, I don't know how, whatever I did, I did that. I, I, because that isn't what I left here for. It's it's unfortunate. As I play senior hockey and everything, even now and, and, and over the years, and I went down to the mine, I, I just realized that. My passion is every time I'm on the ice boats, I'm thinking, how do I put that puck in the net? I don't even think to hit. To me, hitting is just to get in between the player and the puck or, and the goal. And then to go the other way and score. Like, that's my yeah. instinct. The other stuff, I was navigating around um, the game at the time. And I have a temper. But the temper comes with if my goalie got run or yeah. I never once started a game ever and said, 
I'm going to fight. But once the reason came, which was a lot, I had absolutely no fear about doing it. And I knew, A, I had no fear, but Pode's, I was good at it. Right, like, right. I was good at doing this and, and taking it and putting on, like, to get the fans going is one thing, you know, for someone to go in and wrestle and fall down and, you know, okay, you stood up to him. Okay, that means a lot to me, buddy, that you stood up for me. But if you get the if Kevin Sawyer runs our goalie, and then I go out and you know, knowing that he's bigger than me and tougher than me, and I just put on a show, let alone, or I just hang in there, let alone put on a show. The place starts going. I go off the ice. Now the whole rink is the energies, and I knew I could do that. And sometimes, honestly, Pogues, some of the teams I played on, I don't even necessarily think I wanted to, but I knew that I could do it. And the next guy here probably can't. And I like, you know, I, I'm not trying to be cocky when I say it, but I was good at it. And, and Who's your I coach and try at the time? That uh, draft year. My draft year was Bob Lauks. So you got, you got Lauksy there. But Lauksy um, wasn't fight first. Lauksy would get mad at me sometimes. He he was, was I was going to say that. Like, would anyone ever pull your side and say, hey, man, like you got, you got 50, you're going to score 50 this year. You mean, you don't be fighting b yeah. Like, was, did, did that ever happen? Yeah. Well, the b was a statement that needed to be made. So it wasn't that particular one. He loved that one. But but uh the the other ones, yeah, but more more than once. But he, he wouldn't like scold me. He'd call me in and go, okay, we ready to go? No, no fight tonight, right? Let's let let's let Butsy take care of that. Let's let Ryan Brown just come to me. And then like before the third period or something, I'd look up and if something had happened or the boys were kicked out and he might give me a wink. In other words, hey, do what you're gonna do. But he never once told me to go fight or anything. He he was you know, Bob, what did I get in? I think my draft year, like 22 fights or something. I, you know, I think at the time you're going to get in five or, or 10, just being in that division, but and being the way I played. But he, yeah, he was aware that I fought a bit too much. Now, when I went to Fredericton again, Pogues, mm. I was still, when I got drafted by Montreal, I still wasn't, my fighting was, I was a little bit like, you know, the kid that, I don't know, rebels a bit in school or, you know, he, you know, yeah, Terry will take care of that. He's going to get with Munchak. He's not going to be fighting that much up there. They, I was still wasn't, I, I was a bit rebellious as a, as a talented player, right? At, I was at World Junior Camp, right? What happened? I got kicked out for fighting, right? Some stupid, because Dan Kluge slashed me. I had a, but I you could usually navigate it. But yeah, definitely life took a turn for the worse when I went to Fredericton. And I, I just, I, I don't want to blame people, but you're asking me and I'm telling you right now, I hated how, I hated life. I hated hockey by midway through the year. And I'd never been. I used to fucking love it, as you know. Yeah. Everybody well, in dig into that. Me. Dig into that. Because, like, and it's not pointing fingers. Well, I mean, it was Michelle Terry. But it was, but, but it is, uh, I mean, and I and I deal with that with my with the guys I'm working with now. And I, I dealt with that as a pro. Like, there's coaches. That relationship matters a ton. Yeah. Right? It, it matters. And I don't know how else to put it. Like, you need that guy who's calling names yeah, and who's blowing the whistle at practice to like you. You need it, you know, and your life is different if, if, if it isn't that way. Um, so, like, let's dig into that. I mean, whether he liked you or you didn't like him or whether it was a personality disorder or, like, who knows what the deal, what the reason was. But, like, what, when did you know or when did you think you knew that you, he wasn't a fan of you? Well, first of all, I could tell right off the bat he had a Donald Trump-like personality. Now, I'm not with everything going on, that's a hard thing. I don't mean from the violence. I mean from the point of view that he was really narcissistic. He had an right. ego. He certainly didn't want anybody in the room to get more attention than he got. Now, I, I got that right off the bat. So take from that what you will. But he saw, first of all, and the guys who drafted me, Sir Savard, 
uh, Mike, uh, Jacques Lemaire's, right, they were fired right away. When Patrick Waugh went crazy, they got fired. So uh, there was Michelle Therrien, up, or sorry, Mario Tremblay at first up top. Mario loved me. He gave me his number. You got to look at players that were better than me ended up. Aaron Ashton, number 67. Ryder, 72. Tux was like 60-something. You know, he gave me number 14. It was Tremblay's number. And he said, wear it with pride. And there was no, it was all going well, right? And even he said, you know, you don't need to be fight. I got a thing. You don't need, that's why they didn't send me back to junior my 19-year-old year. They kept me to practice all year. Um, and I played in three or four games. I went back to Red Deer at the deadline. But, you know, they, he, I remember him saying, he said, yeah, you're going back there. He said, what are you going to do? Get more than 50 goals? They come up and practice with us. You're going to be fighting all the time. Your hands are going to be hurt. So, you know, they were they were kind of going that way. They, they were, you know, when I played, I was on the power play, like an exhibition. I scored. I was in every, I had every reason to believe that I was going to step in and be like on the second line. You know, like they weren't, they weren't <clears throat> hesitant about letting me know that. So then when everything happened and then, uh, you know, Vigneault came in, I don't really have much of a relationship with him. He was, he seemed like a nice guy, but by this point, I'm not 19, I'm 20. So I can get sent down to the minors. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, they kept me, if they could have sent me to the A when I was 19, they would have. So, um, but I went down there and then right away, the Tarion had this, I can't explain it. It wasn't just me. Anybody listen to this that had him at the time. Again, I forgive him, but kind of thing. Like I remember him saying, he called one of the boys called in and said, you know, I can send you down right away. And he called him a punk. I can't remember who it was. And he, I remember him calling me that. And I was like, what? Like he foggy on the first, I'll tell you something. One of the first times I met him, we were playing these exhibition games against your team. It was against the Leafs. Remember we used to go to like new Liskard and Timmons and these fucking places um, and, and play these exhibition rookie games, which just meant that they, if you're still standing at the end of it, because there was no rules. I remember I uh, remember Eric, what's his name, when uh, begins with a B. Any, anyway, he was a tough guy, played for Buffalo forever. He I mean, he got five fights when he was just nuts. So we, we went to play these, and we were in a hotel, and I think it was Higgy. You know, Higgy, you ask Higgy this. But I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but he said something to the effect of, I hope you guys know, that the exact words he said, you know, Dave or Scott King, play scott king is with the organization and scott's father was dave and dave was in the nhl assistant coach of the hand and he said i sent scott down to new orleans and he said jf hool is on our team jf hool's father ray john was the gm of the hands and he said i sent him down so he said i he said there's nothing stopping me from sending you guys down i can do whatever i want don't think that you're going to run the ship here now i don't know if he said that to us because we were first rounders i but I, again, I found it weird. Most places I went, people were at open arms, were willing to, wanted to meet me and, and, and share my love and, and wanted to, you know, tell me what I wanted to hear. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, part of this is my fault. I didn't know how to react to it. So then anyway, about, I, I, I didn't have a great start, maybe three or four games in, and maybe even more than that, maybe six or seven. Cause I was really, I wasn't putting out, I, like maybe no goals, one assist in like six or seven games, a few fights. But David Ling wanted to play with me. And I wasn't playing that much now. I was in like the fourth line, which didn't make sense. I'm looking at guys like Jonathan DeLille, for example. Now, God rest his soul. Johnny was one of my good friends. But Johnny played for Mike and Jr. was on the third line and the third round pick, whatever. And I'm going, why am I on the fourth line? Like, I, I get it. Like, but you're starting from this point. I can see if I'm playing bad. But you're here to develop me, aren't you? Aren't you here to develop me? Did I, did I miss the memo here? I'm looking in the room. 
He signed for 40 grand. I signed for 1.25 million. I went eighth. Like, can anybody hear me? Like, I was like, what? So <laughs> it, it was this weird thing. So um, about six, seven games in, yeah, he calls me into his office. So I'm like, okay. So I sit there. I look over. What's going to happen? He's got a, he pops a can of Coke, I think it was, whatever it was a pop. I mean, I remember this vividly. And he lit up a cigarette. I said, okay. So he, I was sitting like maybe 15 feet back from him. He's behind the desk. And he liked this mental, that's why I say like Trump, like, you know what I mean? That like he's everybody's, you got to know that you're the biggest in the room or yeah. such a petty thought. It's petulant. But so his chair was like bigger than mine. I was in this small one, right? Looking up at him and he just starts smoking. And he, two minutes in, I just, I'm like, is he going to say anything? He just keeps smoking. <laughs> and I'm like, so I said, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I swear both. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything either. So I just sat. And I mean, you lived a lot of this, this whole time I'm doing this, you're, you're, in St. John. So I'm waiting going, now I make it awkward. I say, you know what, what a fucking asshole. I've never dealt with this before. I don't deal with it a great way. So I just looked at his eyes. Now it's one thing to look in your eyes, right? But if, <laughs> even if it's your, your, your child or your wife or your father, just directly only look into something like I did this. And I looked right into his eyeballs for about five minutes. And I'm sure I don't know what he was thinking. I think he was thinking, oh, what's wrong? He, he wanted like me to ask and him to tell. Or, and I just looked right at the ignorant motherfucker, just like this. <laughs> and so he finished his cigarette, put it out. And he said, get out of my office. I said, okay, Tom. Wow. I went in and I told the boys, I'm like, what just happened? What in the fuck just happened? And then a few of them had stories. Um, and anyway, then I realized, I'm like, wow. So he so smoked then, a whole cigarette in front of you, didn't say a word. Cigarette. Now, now this is this is what I mean, how mind games. The next game, I'm on the first line with Linger. And he's going, to, oh, it makes sense. He goes, you know, like he's, he's a proven scorer. He needs someone, you know, Dave starts a lot of shit. Uh, you know, it's a lot like playing with Lankow, just just set up the best player. And, and I would often do that. I was good at that. So I'm like, yeah, I get a goal, three assists. Um, Linger snipes a couple. I, I'm like, wow, it's finally... I get like third star. I remember skating out for it. I remember coming in in the Aiken Center, going right in the room. And what does he do? Calls my parents right in front of me. I'm like, wow. And dad's on the phone. He, goes, he passed me the phone. He goes, I thought you said you hated this guy. Terry's going to do well. I love Terry. Hangs up the phone. Good luck. Now get out of my office. I get the next game is against you guys. You know when my first shift was? In the last shift of the game, he took me. One thing to give you the pat like this. And he said, now you go fight Jeff Ware. And I went on and I fucking pounded him. And now I'm starting to go, what am I doing? I felt bad. I like Jeff Ware. I had no reason to go out. Now there's where the page turned. Now I'm going out to fight players. It never happened till then. So, and then it started to become part of the, part of the, my thing, right? I, it, it, then I realized, so the next game, basically what he was saying, and I didn't realize it at the time, was that, Fight and you'll play. So I led the American League. I had 34 fights and I rookie of the year. I had 21 goals. Right. Uh, but now, now all of a sudden, uh, I got called up. Codes, my, my one of the worst feelings I've ever had. I got called up. You would think this would be good. I was on a cab on the way to the. What a feeling, right? You're you're in Fredericton and you get the call. What? And I call up. It was the afternoon. It was like maybe four o'clock. I was going to the rink. You know, everybody's starting to get there for five for the 7:30 game. And I'm pumped and I'm telling the guys, I said, you know what, this could be my time. I'm really excited. And there's a few injuries. I said, I know I'm at least going to get five games here. Just looking at the guys who are injured and the injury. 
said, like, I'm going to make the most of it. I was happy. And then when I opened up the paper, it said, uh, what's his name? Christoph Oliwa in the lineup tonight, dot, dot, dot. It was in the news and notes. And it said, Terry Ryan called up for, from Fredericton as an opponent, as a possible opponent for Oliwa tonight, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I went out for a warm up and Sheldon Surrey, our good buddy, was over uh, playing for Jersey. And he like feathered one off my a shin and warm up and winked. And I thought, well, I'm going to get a chance to play against Sheldon. And it wasn't the case. I didn't end up fighting Oliwa, but that's why I was there. I didn't get a shift. I was on the bench and they were like, okay, he's not out. He's not out. I was like, who's not out? What? What are you talking about? Like, what am I? But I was fighting these guys and I was doing okay. So I'm like, did I do this? Did they, did Michelle, it just started to be, what is happening? And then I would get sent down and, and Terry would go on with more of this shit. You fought Tyomi you know, though. Like, let's, I mean, in the end, I mean, yeah. Like that's yeah. what's so strange to me. I mean, you had your, you know, in your well, in your book, but right? Tale. Was, again, I don't want to blame. I'm just saying the fighting mentality of, of, of you know, when it became that I'm on the app. Yeah. Sorry. You're right. The fighting Domi and stuff. I did that to myself. But you know what that was, Pogues? The first time I fought Domi, it was for the boys at home. It was a joke. Uh, not a joke. I'm not going to put like fighting in a hockey joke. But like, because that, that really sounds callous. But like. I just said I was in the summer. A short version of this: I was in the summer. You know, I just my, my buddies had just graduated from high school. You're, ju I just got drafted. Like I was trying to impress a girl, Jillian Chipman. Like, and people were like, "Hey, if you play against, uh, you know, we had a few beers in us at the time. You know, seventeen, whatever, four or five beers on a deck." And they're like, "Yeah, will you fight Tino?" Yeah, sure. I never was going to do it. I'd never played in the NHL before. I just didn't think I'm going to get in against them till like three years down the road when these guys are in university and she's up and living in Ontario with some guy. No one's going to. Anyway, so then when they said it, and I just thought, you know what? I, on the way to the rink, I thought that was like a one-off. But I was like, if I do do it, he's going to have to like kill me at center ice in order for it to be a bad thing. Because even with each punch I get, everybody there is going to be going, oh my God, how is this happening? I was an 18-year-old. First, just drafted three weeks before that, or because it was a late July 8th. So six weeks before that, I'm drafted. And now I'm fighting a guy who just did this one with Probert. Arguably, you know, Probert was a tough, but we, you, you, Leafs fans will make an argument he was the toughest in the league at the time. And I knew that, so I did it. But, you know, I wasn't doing that thinking that this is going to lead to, like, me fighting those guys in the future. And I don't think Jacques Demers thought that either. Like, at that time, when I came in, Demers, like, winked and laughed. He's like, you're nuts. And in camp, I fought at Brashear. But I also always knew, Pods, I always knew, um, I can't make myself go score. So, like, when in Montreal camp, I wanted to leave an impression. And I was doing okay. I, you know, the odd time, you give, a, give a first round pick, an offensive player with 50 goals, the puck enough. I'm going to do some things that are that are impressive, right? And you give it to me. And so I remember going like, I had a real nice goal one time. I don't usually get those. And I remember having like a couple of moments, but there was a couple of like giveaways. And there was a couple where I wasn't a great skater. I needed to work on that. And you could notice sometimes this is the NHL now, not junior. So I'm like, Jesus, I, like, I wanted to sign a contract too, right? I hadn't signed yet. I was drafted and I know my weaknesses. And I'm like, I think my skating would have been exposed there a little bit. So just in my mind, I couldn't make myself score, but I'm, if I just go out and like fight Domi, it'll be, a, they'll go, wow, that guy got balls. Right. Yeah. It, it was completely true that though. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I did make my own bed as much as anything else. I'm just, I, I wanted to explain that Tyrion thing. Cause I really didn't like him. And I came home halfway through the year. They had to call me to go back. 
right? Like people don't know that. When I held out and didn't go back to camp, it wasn't for money or none of that. I just wanted out of his, I didn't want out of Montreal. It was unfortunate because it was Montreal. They were my favorite team always. But I'm like, it's come to it. I need out of this, it was this guy. I need to get rid of him. And then he ended up going up. There was no escaping Michelle Therrien. That's all I wanted. And it turned into, the, if they just traded me, like they traded Tucker and Higgy and Ash and fucking uh, Valerie Burry and Craig Conroy and Jim Campbell, if they just traded me, like they traded all those guys who were big prospects, nothing would have been made of it. And maybe I could make up with that guy. If I ever see him, I'll shake his hand. But I'm telling you, only because a lot of time has gone by and I feel bad ripping in public like this, but this happened. And this was a first round picks career. And I fully believe that I just would have had more games. I don't know. You never know. How could you say I would have been? But I'm looking at the guys that were there. I'm looking at the relative stats in every other league I played in. And if, if I couldn't have played one year on the fourth line in the NHL, but I really don't know who could have. And I'm not trying to be cocky when I say that. I'm not saying I would have gotten 20. I do no, think I it's possible with the right team. I would have had 10 or 15, like an Aaron Asham. There's no reason for me not to think that. But I can't say it was a guarantee. But you give a first-round pick 100 games to fail. That's what I think. Not eight. Right. Like, what do you um, – if you I know, to... skating, I know skating was the knock on me, but it was the knock in the AHL. It was the knock in Major Junior. It was the knock certainly when I was 14 playing Junior A. And I always seemed, like Rick Tockett, who's not a great skater, to get it done. But my hockey IQ never got challenged because I didn't play enough when I was up right. there. What's your what's your takeaway like from that? If you were to be in that environment again now with you know life experience and you know I mean everything that you're talking about, how would you have handled that relationship oh, differently? A hundred percent different because I didn't speak. I looked at him like the enemy. Where I should have gone in, shaking his hand, and gone, Mike, let's be on the same page. There's so much I would have done differently. He couldn't have. If I if I'd approached it like that and he still was an asshole, then you know they would have reason reason to fire him. But I didn't. I looked at it like I was Sean Thornton on your team, firing pucks at him. I remember we'd be out there and you guys would be chirping him. I respected him like that and I treated him like that. I would go in and go, whatever. Like, I just want to get out of it. Sometimes he'd just be talking to me. I'm going, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But I fucking hate you. And that, that's the way it was. And we went on like that for two years. And I just should have said, you know, I understand where you're coming from. Like, like please understand it from my end. I'm going to try to do this. If you don't want me to celebrate after goals, I won't. You know, it became, you know, I get mad at P.K. Subban, but he, he didn't like that out of me either. And what am I doing? I know it's it's stupid to take the passion away from a kid, but, but why didn't I just fucking play ball? I don't need to do this after I score, right? I need yeah. to go out there and get those opportunities, and I need to put it in the net, and I need to handle myself off the ice. But there should be no friction if a coach doesn't want me to do that, or if a coach doesn't want me to have a blue mohawk. Don't have one. Right. But I would be like, yo, you're violating on my rights. If you say that I can't and I push them. Right. I, I remember um, getting in like 1105 and like it was 11 was our curfew. But I went to a Metallica concert. I went on my own. I'm like, well, I'm not breaking the rules here. Mike. I, I don't have any beer on me. I'm not smoking dope. I'm home. I went on my own. There's probably guys out. At, I, I don't know anything. I'm just going to my room. But that's five minutes like, rather than us just be, you know, because that's bullshit. Right? right. Rather than me tell them beforehand, can I go to a Metallica concert? I might be in a little bit late. I'm not going to be drinking. We're all adults. I didn't do that. Nor he did he react the right way. Come on, Mike, it's four minutes and 20, 20 seconds. But we ended up we ended up just, for lack of a better way to put it, being very volatile with each other and hating each other. And I do think the unfortunate thing is that there are so many ways that we see the game that are parallel. 
he's just got his back up a little bit and I'm too over the top that way. But Mike is a great coach when it comes to X's and O's. He certainly outside of that bullshit knows how to motivate players by, by putting you with the right line combinations. And with, you know, when we go to dinner, like he'd always, you know, there's another side, he'd go like, Terry, you know, you're, you're off the wall, but no better. We don't have a game for five days. Here's a thousand bucks. Take these guys out. Now they're rookies. Make sure they, you know, there was that too. Right. So it's not like we couldn't have spoken. I was, I was as guilty as he was for that. I think it's a power trip. I mean, I, I have a similar experience with uh, Brian Maxwell in Spokane right before he quit. And it was my, it was my draft year. We, for whatever reason, I still to this day don't know why we didn't like why there's something about me he didn't like or whether it was like the relationship with my dad yeah. that he didn't like because my dad was pretty vocal in the stands and there's a note to parents there too you know I mean your your passion and love for your kid is well intentioned but sometimes that can maybe go awry so there's a lot of stuff going on there but we were in Seattle um, I think we lost three two or something like that I, I had both goals second star of the game come back to Spokane it was a uh, back to back and and sat on the bench the entire game. Like, and without a, without a meeting with Maxi, without like, you know, not, not, I did anything wrong. I sat there for the whole 60 and the only time in my career, except for, no, I even got one shift in a, in an NHL game in, in the Rangers. I almost sat a whole, I, that's the only time in my life that I sat for an entire game. And that was after scoring two goals and never had a, never had a meeting about it. Like that's mind games, like big time, you know? And like, how did you like, so that scenario with you, you, you said sounds like super similar. I mean, you go, you have yeah. four point night, you come back and you get one shift and it's to fight. Like that stuff happens, I guess, you know, is, is why I'm bringing it up. And it's like this, this word called mental toughness, like you need it, you know, but it's like, how, how do you, how do you, how did you go about it then? And even that scenario, would you, would you walk into his office and maybe had a, had a chat if you could be, oh, yeah. you honestly, I've, I've really learned. I can honestly say I've really learned and it took a few things like that to happen. It took me watching other players, how they handled things. It took refs. It took, I mean, again, I still play probably not now after COVID, but right up until 43, I'll be 44 next week or in three days. Um, you know, so and, and great, great level, like Allen cup seeking, like I've lost in two Allen cup finals. So I, I'm still very much have my finger on the pulse. So, you know, everybody on our team, for example, played either pro or major junior or some, you know, CIS or something. Uh, Maritime Junior League, and they come back, and um, so you know you just learn, and you're and you know I ran for politics. Uh, I've been in, in, I've had two or three different sub careers going on in the film world as a sales rep. You just the more you deal with people. At the time, you're a hockey player. You really, other than hockey, I didn't have anything to base any experience. I had no professional relationship with anybody other than my agent. You know, he's going to tell me what I want, want to hear. The whole world is telling me how good I am. I'm opening the paper. I'm reading how good I am. So it was a bit of adversity, first of all. I didn't know how to deal with that. And my, I, I, I would always love to talk to people that are going to tell me the right thing. But, you know, not the wrong. And I've, Yeah, I really, really have learned. I mean, for the last – and, you know, playing ball hockey. I'm in the Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. I've played five world championships with Team Canada. I've been the captain for a couple of them. Uh, so, you know, and at first I remember in 2003, you know, in the world champion slamming my stick when the ref made a bad call that ended then that ended Ask any ref that's been come down my radar in the last 15 years, man, after every game, I make a point to go shake their hands. I try to talk it out. I call in the radio shows on behalf of other people that might not be able to articulate it. They're coming from the same league or whatever. That's it. I'm smart. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying I really try 
to be open-minded about things. And I know, I know without a doubt that if I went through that again, Michelle Terry and I would be friends. I did not react the right way. I gave him what he wanted. And it's like, like the Beatles say, all you need is love, but I went, they're my favorite, but I never really thought about that song, right? It's never gonna, look what happening in the States. One side is fuck you and the other side is, well, they were gonna do this. Well, fuck you, well, we'll impeach them. Then how about this? Everybody relax, tell each other something good, right? Get the, let's start seeing what do we agree on? Let's shake hands and go over that stuff first. Well, here we agree. We agree infrastructure should be a lot better. Okay, let's work on that first. Well, it's like hockey. Mike, what do we need to work on? Let's go. Let's go in, a, let's go in the right direction now. You might think this of me. Okay, I won't dye my hair blue. That's not, a, that's not much of a sacrifice. Now, what would you like? Should I go train? Do you have any recommendations, Michelle, where I can go train in the summertime? You seem like you know what you're doing. How about this? I never once, once, other than when he came in practice, said like, look, do you want me here on the power play? Do you want I just always assumed I was in front of the net, low guy in front of the net. And, you know, just something like that. And now I realize not that that would have solved the problem, but it often does. I've come across coaches that I didn't love. And, and, and often rather than just go, you don't have to address it straight on. Hey, Derek, can I talk to you for a second? What you can do is go, hey, Derek, look, if I'm breaking out now, you want me to take this route or that route? And he'll go, oh, he wants to talk about something. You know, you, you start like that. Okay, now when I take that, you know what? Well, Higgy's going to let Higgy rush with it because, you know, he's better than – and then all of a sudden you have a conversation and you start there. Maybe next time or the time after that, you start working on bigger things. But I didn't. I had my back up. I was an arrogant kid. Um, again, looking at the situation, yeah. I think Michelle should have handled it a little bit better being 31 years old but or 33, <clears throat> whatever he was. But, no, I point is I'm not blaming I could have done a lot wrong, but the other part could have done a lot more or better. But everybody goes through that. You learn. It's experience. We just did it in the public eye. Most people, when they're 22, you know, are learning how to go navigate the lineup at the uh, lunchroom at university, right, which is not in the public eye. If I snap when I'm 20 years old on the prof, I might get fired out of the course. I can take it again in January, and no one's going to find out I was immature. But when you do it on such a colossal level that's being, you know, in the papers and everybody's following along, it, you can get caught up in it and you're only a kid. Most yeah. of the lessons like that, Proads, I learned after hockey. Just take another short break from the podcast here to talk about um, what it is that I do and and what it is that I do is help young athletes well, and older athletes uh, be their best, really, is to step in their own greatness and to reach their potential. And I can do that on an individual basis where I do that with teams. And and this time right now, this COVID time that we're in as this, as this episode is being released, uh, is a massive opportunity to work on things like mindset and to work on things like character and the, and the character traits uh, that maybe you want to exemplify more on the ice that are going to give you uh, more opportunity in the future and are going to lengthen uh, your careers where, wherever you are. And, uh, and many of you have been reaching out. There's been a lot of teams that have been reaching out to me and I love working with teams right now. It's an amazing time to do it, especially with Zoom. We do not have to be in the same community. Uh, we can do this uh, over the internet and I can share with you the lessons and the trainings that I have uh, to make your athletes better. 
uh, or on an individual basis as well. So you can find more about me at upmyhockey.com. Please check it out there. Uh, there's a contact form there and it gives you a little bit idea of my services and, and who I'm helping and how I do it. So love, uh, love the messages. Uh, I love the contacts. I love getting out there and helping as many people as possible. That's what this thing is all about. Um, so please take me up on it, um, upmyhockey.com. And now we'll get back to the interview with Terry Ryan. Sure. So yeah, I'm not the same person, but I look back, trying to be objectively, I don't know where he was coming from with those little things like the cigarette. I know what he was trying to do, but it didn't work. And it, it hurt me mentally. And for years and years and years, I went through a really, really rough time. I can honestly say that. It was as much me, though. But, you know, I still talk to therapists. Remember Wayne Hollywell? He worked with you guys yeah. in Canada. He worked with us with, with the Canadians. I mean, I talked his ear off, right? But the but, thing is, man, like, and you hear it time and time again, and it's like, you know, with me having conversations with my clients now and, and even parents, right? Like, lots of times with parents. And I'm not talking either 12, 13-year-olds either, but I'm talking like 16, 17, 18-year-olds, especially these kids that are now going to the draft. Like, they're no different than you and I in the fact that they think they got it figured out. You know, like you thought you had it figured out. Obviously, yeah. you didn't think you were doing the wrong thing. Just like me when I was 20. I mean, I didn't think I was doing the wrong thing, but we had it wrong. You know, like we got it wrong. And that's when I like I talk to these parents. I'm like, surround yourself. Like whoever that is, like find somebody that gives a shit about you and about your kid in a real way, in a real way that gets that's it. Huge. You know, it that gets it and can help you with this stuff. Because like you said, I mean, one one bad relationship in this game can screw you. Yeah, You know, a couple mistakes can screw you. And this is like, you work your whole life for this shit. And then something like that, you can navigate a scenario, a relationship the wrong way, and it can go south and it can go it's south okay. in a hurry, you know? And, and of course you're not going to get it right, but like, we're trying to minimize the chances for us to screw up, I think, right? On this thing, right? Like, let's try and be honest with this and let's try and not make mistakes. And when you're 18 and you think you got it all figured out and you're not asking questions, you're not taking advice from anyone, you're screwed because you're going to yeah. get it wrong. I was, I was, Two, I didn't want to bother my parents with it. And then it becomes no one. And I didn't want to rat him out. That wasn't my thing. I'm not going to call the GM. Not once did I call Rajon Hall and say, get rid of this guy. That, that did not ever, ever, ever. I'm sure they knew that I didn't like the guy. But, right. but I even just, that's weird, again, TR. Again, TR. Even if I had done that, even if I called Reggie and at least, you know, not he's not going to fire him because of me, but at least let him know and not in a bad way. Reggie, what can I do to mend the relationship? I never did any of that. I just got mad. I, I, I had no one to talk to. I didn't. I mean, I did. I didn't reach out though. I didn't reach out. My my father played professional hockey. I was embarrassed. My God, looking back, I, I you know. Uh, so but yeah, take the account. I mean, I'm all about accountability. You know that. And you're. I mean, listening to you right now, you're about accountability too. But like, if we would sh shift that light and put it on the other direction on the organizational side, like, and I think it's it's part of the times then, not as much now. Thank God. But like, where is the adult in the room with this? Like, they. You I mean you're the eighth overall selection? This is an organization that should want you to be the best that you can be. Where's the communication on the other side? You know, TR, what's going on here? You know, how can we help you? Like, we want you to be better, right? Like, those conversations weren't happening, and it wasn't us versus them, meaning players versus management culture in most no, organizations. You know, it's honestly true. The first time I went up and met with Rajan Hul, because he came in. It was Sir Savard, yeah, he came in. Anyway, the first time I was in with him, you know, like, the, the end-of-the-year meetings? Mm -hmm. You know, you go in, and I, I can't remember... It was I was in Montreal, so either we played a game there in the AHL or it was like the end of the year 
outro meetings, whatever, whatever it was. Cause you know, at the end of the year, black aces would go up. But anyway, he called me in. It was the first time that I met him. Like we were talking for about five minutes and I was like, well, oh, that's weird. And he said to me, he goes, so what do you, what do you think your goals are for next year? Or whatever. I said, well, you know, I'd like to make the team. And he goes, please. And he was looking down. He goes, well, Russ, I mean, I, don't, I said, what do you mean, Russ? He thought I was Russ Gouzier. I'm their first round pick. <laughs> I went, well, well, I do already have three games with the team or whatever it was. So uh, whatever it was. But anyway, so, uh, but, but he was always nice to me. I just mean, like there was no, there was this weird, you, you know, lack of communication going on. Uh, I remember, again, now, Pogues, like it's one thing, like, Mike Brown played on my team in Red Deer. Now, they drafted him to fight because it was a different – he went 17th overall, I think, to Vancouver. And, you know, they went. he had 44 points in his draft. He could score a little bit, but he, he was more of a – not a goon, but the, the, the really outskirts of that. I mean, he could skate around out there, but he was a tough, tough guy. He got drafted to fight. I didn't get drafted to fight. Again, like, they were really kind of wanted me at first not to fight as much because, you know, again, we've, we've been through that. Well. Again, I'm a first-round pick. I'm rookie of the year in my team, in the division. 21 goals, 256 penalty minutes. They don't know. Because I'm going, I'm down there thinking, I'm going, you know, 34 majors. I say 34 fights. I had 34 majors. I I, I don't remember sticking anybody higher or anything, because I don't want to be misquoted. But, you know, that's what I had. So 32, 33, but... I remember not getting any other five minutes, so 34 majors is, is likely. And I'm, 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 they're thinking about me apparently to score goals. What am I doing? What can you imagine now if you had a first round pick? Now let's just say relative terms even. Let's say because 34 it doesn't happen anymore. But let's say even 10 fights. What are you doing? You know, like what what was happening? I'd like to know what they were thinking as I was down there, like you know, like fighting. Go on a road trip, fight Francis Lassard twice one game and Frank Bialois. They get kicked out after three fights. What are they, you know, what is going through their mind? I was still going on with my life, but looking, you know, and I didn't really think much of it. I'm like, they must know that I'm doing this. Like, so I guess, you know, know, like like this, you've given me 1.25 million reasons not to hurt this, but this. If it goes into Frank Bialois's grill, is probably not going to score on the power play. I, I still look back and I can't understand it for the life of me. All I can understand is that maybe all the, all I can make of it is that Savard and the Mers got fired, and the other so they were fine to just let me go and just let me do that. And, and if I became a fighter, I, I don't know. They still gave me the money. Like Savard and the Mers didn't sign. and the Mers didn't sign me. Like Reggie Hull signed me to my contract. Right. So. It's weird. That's a big, de- that's a big see, deal. You know I, mean? I mean, that's a big deal too. That, that yeah. you know, that sometimes the casual fan doesn't really get. You know what I mean, because it doesn't make sense, right? Honestly, it doesn't make sense. Like from the optics of it, is you should, as an NHL organization, you should want to put the absolute best product you can on the ice, wherever yeah. you can find that from, right? And if you inherit people within that organization, they're still your assets and your prospects and whatever you need to do, right? But there is definitely. Uh, reasons and scenarios where new guys come in and they want to put their own fingerprint on that team. And yeah. like, and, it, and it's like very conscious that they want to put their own fingerprint on that team. And that could mean guys like you or guys like me or guys like whoever that are involved in either a draft or a trade pre 
you know, this new guy coming in that you just don't get, you don't get the shot anymore because they have no desire to have you become one of those players. They want someone else to fill that spot. Yeah. And, uh, I, I find that that gets ignored a lot in the hockey. A lot of people don't talk about it when these people come out and in, like, you know, it, it definitely to some level, every move affects to some level, some way more than others, but yeah, that's the thing. So I, you know, looking back, and again, I, I didn't, other than Michelle Therrien with those, you know, we had a real rocky relationship. Other than that, like, I got along with everybody up there. There was a lack of communication, though. You know, like, I shouldn't be finding out either in a cab on the way. Again, you just signed me. I, I'm I'm on the menu for Christophe Oliwan tonight. Is this for real? Like, right. I, how do I, how did you not even say this? How am I under the ring, on the way to the rink now, putting on my gear, wondering? Like, I was in the room putting on my gear. No one still said anything to me. I want to play in the NHL. I want to, but I'm really thinking, am I going out there now to like just have a shift and fight? Am, am I putting on my gear? How old were you that how old were you at that point? That was my second year. So I was 21. So even think about that, right? I mean, 21, I mean, I guess I mean you we could call ourselves men at that point, you know, but like young, a young man, right? Fig figuring stuff out. You're coming up, yeah. you're getting called up to the NHL, and there's no conversation, like you just said, like. There's not like give take five minutes with a guy who's been in the minors yeah. for the last year and say, hey man, like this is where we got you. Awesome, you're yeah. coming up here. Like just be a human being, right? Like and, there, uh, there was uh, none of that, right? Not not only that, more than once, but I remember because I remember talking with Brad Brown about this. Like, I don't know if it was that time, but more than once, you go up like that, and the odds are because they didn't talk to you much. But like Steamer, usually one of the trainer guy, he'd come down with like, here's an envelope for you, and I'd open up my plane ticket to be there for like that afternoon. Or, like there was, and, and again, they weren't trying to be assholes. There was just lack of communication. Oh, really? Send Terry, send this down the room for Terry. Don't even tell me I'm going. That's how I would find out. Right. And then I'd fly down to Fredericton. And I swear, most teams, I'll often say, like, I get it, you know, team first and all that. But I just still don't understand how I would go down to Fredericton and they would be aware. Like, Michelle Terry was there. I gave you no reason not to play me. How? Why am I on the fourth line? I, I just... I could see it in junior. If, if you got something to go by, I could, I could see it anywhere. But as a first round pick, you guys pick me. Now, if I come here, now I should play my way off the floor. But why is a guy that didn't get drafted? And again, I, I'm not trying to be cocky when I say it. But if you're starting from scratch, what what did he do different than me? Do you have a better game at New Lisker? Like, you got to protect. You gave me again a million dollars. I just that's what I couldn't get. I'm not I'm not not a team guy, but. And I hated being vocal about it, but I'm just like, on every other team, I can see it. In senior hockey, even, if you're not doing this, you know, but if we're starting from, from scratch, right, Jose Theodore would likely be your number one goalie. You picked him. He's, he's coming up. He's the highest picked goalie you got in your organization. I'm guessing he's going to start. I'm guessing I'm going to play. I'm guessing Matt Higgins is a first-round pick. We're going to see him not, not in his suit. I'm guessing Brad Brown, first-round pick, probably going to be in the top six, right? I'm like, yeah. I just don't get it. So all that all that I can come up with is that Tyrion had his back up. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm sure they weren't calling going, make sure our prospect, our arguable number one prospect is on the fourth line. You know, show him more adversity. I, I just don't see that. Right. Yeah, I know. I hear you. Well, that's funny. My, my, a similar. Uh, oh, are you there? Oh, my screen was black for a second. Similar story and not a boohoo scenario, but I mean, just the way it goes, right? When you say like, as far as pedigree is concerned and where guys are coming from and how you assume, you know, I mean, that, that it doesn't start off equal or whatever, but that was when I got traded to uh, Los Angeles, to LA. And that was the year I had uh, 42. Yeah. With, um, you were the leading goal scorer, weren't you? 
Yeah, and the AHL, right? Almost, and then went to the IHL and got five more. Had a forty-seven goal season in the minors. Um, got traded for Perot. Go to LA. Andy Murray comes in, and uh, Brad Chartrand, who was my teammate in in uh, St. John's, yeah, I like that, that same year, he had sixteen goals, like forty points. You know, forty yeah. penalty minutes. I mean, he wasn't, yeah. wouldn't fight anybody, right? Like he's a buddy of mine. Like, and, and nothing, no disrespect to Brad Chartrand. But you're like, what? You're like, what? What happened? But I'm there? like, now he made the NHL this year, and I'm in the minors. You I know, know, and, like, I know. And, and I didn't have a bad camp. I had a great camp, but Andy Murray. Um, you know, Brad Chartrand played for him on the uh, Team Canada, right? Like uh, I, I remember that that happening. Post. So that, that stuff that happens. You know what I mean? That it was doesn't one make of the more sense. Ones, yeah, yeah. He had 50 games in the NHL that year. Brad Chartrand made the Kings, and I, and after a 47 goal season at 23, I was or 22 in the minors. It's like doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. You do what you can, but um, but yeah, that would be one thing. I mean, as far as my moral of this story is, like I wasn't ever a coach's buddy, you know, and not that that relationship can be fake because you don't want to fake it as a player. I'm not telling guys to go out there and fake it, but you should be curious about who your coach is and about that relationship, you know, like, and, yeah, you should. And the other moral of the story is that outside of it, of that, you know, hockey goal and everything, us going through that though, again, I, I said at the beginning with parallel universe, I got to take off here too, folks, but, uh, um, like I said, it's power because you go through that. It's a lot to take. Everybody, like everybody told you, everybody told me like once it caught on, not when I was like eight, but I'm saying like once we were in well into our teens prospects, you know, if you're going to play in the NHL and, and we put up the numbers to prove it. I mean, they told that to Mike Dubinsky, but he got hurt and then he didn't have numbers and what are you going to do? But, yeah. you know, I had no reason not to think it. So, but to go through all that and everything I've said and everything you've said um, really did help me. It helped me, but by no doubt, become a more centered person. I know I'm, I know I'm quirky, and eccentric, and all that. I might come off one way in, in these books and interviews, but as a rule, as a person, I feel way more grounded. I feel like I deal with people better, and I certainly feel like I'm, I'm more beneficial to young players because I've seen, you know, if you don't go through that adversity, and I can, I'm not right every time, but I, I'm great to bounce ideas off of if you're young, if nothing else, because of certain things that I could have done differently. And a lot of people don't, but they just still find themselves in the, you know, I made some decisions that directly impacted my life. But the thing is, what is the goal? Is it fame? Is it money? I mean, yeah, that's part of it, but I were to be set up and not have, you know, financial worries really, because that, that takes care of everything for your family and everything. But I'm happy. I had, my, my life is such a roller coaster. And, you know, the way things happen now, you know, Penny Lane, my, my daughter, I couldn't imagine that. Tyson, my, I raised Tyson. I, I mentioned BJ Young earlier. Well, he passed away in a car accident. Tyson's his son. Tyson's going to pilot. He's going to be a pilot now. And he's taking lessons. I'm taking lessons. He's well into it. He's like two years into it. Mm -hmm. um, out, in, out in Alberta. Like, other than those things, and the further I get away from them, the less angry I am. Now, I'm happy. I, you know, I, we played in the NHL, okay? And that, that's an accomplishment. The other things that happened, as each day goes by, my life presents more and more adventure, more and more new experiences. I appreciate life more because there is an end. There's a start and a finish. Right now, hopefully I'm in the middle. But from appreciating life to, you know, appreciating the fact that I did play in the NHL, I didn't for years. I was, fuck, eight games, what the? And then you're like, yeah, you know, I played in the NHL. For the Montreal Canadiens, uh, 
I've got world championships in ball hockey. I've, I've been, I'm, I'm acting once in a while. Um, I do stunts. I work in films. Like I, I really don't have much to complain about. I'm in my hometown. I ended up somewhere that I wanted to be. And you know, author of a second book, which we didn't get into. How, how, how quick do you have to go? Do you have time to tell one story from that book or do you got to get out of here? I'll, no, no, I'll tell you a story from the book. Uh, and, and tell a good one, because my God, I mean, I read a couple of those, and I mean, it's your stories really are epic. And uh, sure. so I think you should share one and get some people laughing here before we go. I will, I will. So now, first of all, before I tell the story, I'll because I always forget, and I'm going to forget. If you want to get this book, my Instagram, send me a DM. It's at Terry Ryan 2020. My uh, Twitter is at Terry Ryan 20. Um, and uh, my Gmail at, uh, or Terry Ryan at Gmail or Terry Ryan, sorry, 2020, Terry Ryan 2020 at gmail.com. The reason I say that as an author, it's much more beneficial if you buy the book off me. I'll personalize it for you. I'll send it out um, uh, for basically the same price with shipping because uh, I had a great book company, but the way it works, but if my book sells at say chapters because of all the costs and, and it's just, shitty business to be successful at really i get 50 cents of the 20 dollars. now i wrote it all myself i provided all the pictures and this is not a bad deal it's my second deal it's just the way it works most of the time so but i buy them myself for cost off the company and then i can resell them sign people like that a little personalized for five dollars more for 25 and then i can make uh five to ten bucks a book because that's about seven bucks a book so that way I make a bit of money on it. So right. what I what I what I do is I, I I do do up orders, personalize it, throw in a picture or two for me and my dad, and I send it in the mail for 25 bucks, which is a good deal. But anyway, so that's that. But I'll tell you my story about my last NHL shift. Uh now I didn't know it was going to be my last NHL shift, first of all. So I uh it was 90, no. I guess it would have been 99, 2000. So uh I got called up. It was against the Blackhawks. It was ended up being my buddy Danny Cleary's first goal in the NHL. So he had people there from Newfoundland. And we were both with IMG, so it was unique to be. And I again, I didn't think it was my last game, but all this was happening. So I was dressed that night. They had called up me and Dave Morissette. You remember Dave Morissette? Uh, big yeah. right hand. Used to fight Thorny in, in yeah. uh, Fought Thority the night you fought. You fought somebody in St. John's. Great fight. Right after it, he fought Thority. We, we had great rivalries there, too. Although the Spoke Tri-City was better. Because it was more established. But, anyway, Dave Morissette, he's the only guy fucking in Probert's book. Probert said he hit him and cut him and hurt him. So, um, we're, we get called up. Now, it's like a three or four game games that were there. I think we dressed. I dressed one. I didn't play. But it sat out one. It was one of those. We still hadn't really been in the lineup to get shifts. And and I look back, I tried to find the exacts all this. So that part of the story is foggy. But I know we were up for about two weeks and I hadn't played yet. So Moose, I think, fought the game before Rob Ray or something. So we're sitting there. We're for lack of a better way to put it, we're grocery sticks, right? Like we're on the bench. They tell us we're not going to play that much. It was me, Dave Morissette, and Trent McCleary, uh, who ended up retiring because he got a puck in the throat not long after. A real go-getter playing Swift Current against all odds made the NHL as close to Rudy Rudiger in the NHL as you're going to get. A real go-getter, but you know we're playing Chicago. He's not right. real tough. He's he's tough, but he's not. I'm going to be Probert tough. So um, tough to, to just the way he played. I mean, real tenacious. 
So anyway, we're there and we're, we're called out. Uh, yeah. TR, just give me one second. I got to take one sec, one sec. Yeah, I'll be right back. Hey boys, you guys are on internet, right? Yeah, get off of it, please. Screw it on my connection. TR, sorry, I'm back. I showed you some, told you something earlier. This is from. Oh, look at that, Harry Ryan. Go, 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 yeah. There you go. That's front page, eh? A name to the remember. Sports. Le Journal in the Quebec sports, a whole thing, <laughs> right? You must have been lighting it up there. I wasn't. So I cool. wasn't. I wasn't kidding there. Like we. Yeah. In the Toronto Red Wings, like something like that. Um, but anyway. That, that's here yeah. um so anyway we're called up i'll, I'll move on with the story we're on the bench i'm i'm, I'm pretty much no we're not going to play i can't remember why I, they might have told us not in a malicious way there's something they were like benoit brene was hurt i might even i can't remember but i remember the knowledge was on the bench it, it was maybe it was the fourth game we're up still hadn't got a ship so we're next to each other so me and moose are playing the clock game so we're looking up and i'm I'm betting on where the clock's going to stop. So uh, like I say seven, he says four, whatever. It's a hundred bucks a spin, whatever. Boom. So anyway, I was up a couple spins early on. Now he gets a call to go out and, 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 and get a shift. I'm like, hey, good luck, you know, <laughs> but it's for them. They got a line. One line is Bob Probert, Cam Russell, and Mark Jansen's three real tough guys. And so Moose goes out, and this is the infamous Prober fight. It's unbelievable. Look it up on YouTube, Pods. You're not going to believe it. I watched it with my own eyes. I could not believe what I was seeing. Probert remains to me, I think, the toughest ever, you know, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and definitely the most – I met him a few times, seemed like a great guy. I'm not downplaying Ty Domi either. I, I, I really – Domi has been great to me, and I hate – but it's Bob Probert for more reasons than one. I, I really looked up to him. Um, he was Langer's buddy too. So, anyway – we're playing them and I can't believe it. Moose asked him to go and boom, boom. And this is in, I got Probert's book there. I just reread it the other day. Tough guy, it's called. And Moose hits him with one and he gets cut and he goes down. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never, and he leaves the game and he comes back in the second, but I've never, I've never, I'm a big Probert fan. There's no YouTube, obviously, but I watch every game I could. I knew all his fights and I'm going, holy shit, Moose just beat Bob Probert. Now I'm on the bench. Um, he comes back. I'm like, holy, we can't believe it. He's sitting there. I'm sitting there. Now, as time goes, I don't get a shift. I don't get a shift, which was totally understandable. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad about it or anything. I don't want to get like I was because, again, I'm still navigating my way. If I can just stay up in the NHL, whatever. Um, maybe I was playing poorly. I can't remember. But in my head, I was just like, hey, it was all shucks, whatever. Like, um, anybody need a water, whatever it would be. So we're going in between periods. And I'm kind of whistling, just getting ready to go out. And I'm getting hungry because you know how it is. You eat your pregame meal at like 1230 or one. If you're playing the game, I like to play hungry, but you don't really notice it if your legs are going. And, you're, you know, after the game, you get hungry about an hour after. But I'm getting starving now because I've done nothing. I didn't even work out before the game. I'm like, So now the only thing I was waiting for, the first period ends. So I'm thinking, 
I'm thinking it's still the same way. But back then, if, if, if you didn't get a shift in the first, unless there was some kind of, you know, because I'm totally cold. And they didn't come, say, ride the bike in between periods or anything, even though I would do that. Usually, if you knew you were, so I, I just had every reason to think I wasn't getting out there. So, and then I'm totally cold at this point. The last time I put my skates on or I tied up my skates was like two hours ago. So, we're like midway through the second. And I, I say to Steamer behind me, that one of the trainers, like, I, I'm not playing. So, I put pop. Sacco Koivu used to drink Coke in between periods. The only guy I've seen do it. I hear Chara does it. I've never seen anybody do it but Koivu. But he did it, so he had some Coke. So I put it in a water bottle, and I got Steamer to get me a Shein show, a hot dog from the Molson Center at the time, now the Bell Center. So he would, and I knew it was on TV. So I was taking the hot dog here. Again, like, I haven't skated in two and a half hours. It's like mid, late second period. So I'm, I'm not thinking I'm going to get out there. So I got the hot dog, and I know it's hot in Canada, so I'm like eating the hot dog. So cameras won't see it. I'm having, I'm shooting the shit on the bench, right? I'm, I'm a little too comfortable now, but I'm, I'm a bit used to it. So my, my, um, my skates, they, they're, they're really hurting. I'm, I got lace bite, but I got them done really, really tight. And I, you know, the back of my mind, I know I might get there. I'm not totally taking this for granted, but they told me I wasn't going to play. And the three games before that, I ain't going to play. So like, whatever. So I, my lace, my laces are killing me. I, I ended up missing a month because of this lace bite. Oddly enough, I got hurt from tying my sk skates tight and not going out there. I get injured from not playing. So, but anyway, like Moose is like next to me. He goes, you're not going to get out there. They told you, and I could just, just undo your skates, man. You're ki I'm killing. So I undo my skates, just the top rung. And then I'm, I, I got two hot dogs in me now and I'm like really sweating, but I'm really sweating. I'm going, <laughs> Did you? I'm looking around at Steamer. I said, "Did you put fucking hot sauce on that? What is going on?" And anyway, this is what happened. So I ate it, and I started sweating ever so slightly because I'm I'm warm. It's in there. I ate some of my digestive. I'm I'm sweating. I'm perspiring, <laughs> sweating, sir. I'm perspiring ever so slightly. But Moose goes, "Well, you didn't notice." He goes, "The boys put uh, deep heat or whatever it was, you know, the hot stuff on your helmet right here in warm up." thinking they'd prank me, right? Because it'd go in my eyes. I'm like, I don't wear a helmet and warm up. It's the only time I get to, I had the flow going. I'm like, this is the only time anybody gets to see me. And I swear, Poach, I used to go out there and like once in a while, like write my number down and then pass it to a girl in between the thing, like wink, whatever, you know, it was, I was loving life. I said, I'm not putting on my helmet in the, in the warm up in the NHL. So he's like, oh fuck, we just assumed it. I'm like, didn't you see me skating around with flow? I was the last guy off. Warm-up is my time to shine. I was picking corners. I'm like, no one noticed. I didn't have my helmet on. So now he's like, no, no. I'm like, I think it was him anyway. So my eyes are going, oh, Jesus. My eyes are really burning. And I'm, I'm, I'm spraying it down. Steamer's like, oh, milk will help that. I'm like, go fuck yourself. So anyway, so now we start, and Moose is like, and, I'm, and now my, my skates are undone. My, 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 I get, my eyes are hurting, and they're all red. And then Moose is talking. He's like, what do you want to be when, you, you know, after hockey? I said, I don't know. We're having this conversation. And he goes, I think I'll be an elephant hunter. And I'm like, what in the fuck? He's saying in his French head, an elephant hunter, an elephant hunter. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, where are they going to hide? Where are they going to hide, Gary? I'm like, what? So we're having this idiotic conversation. Idiotic. And he's been kind of chirping Probert from the bench. And I don't know if, if Probert, and, and not, I, I think, they fought and when they went to the penalty box when they came back on i think they had 
maybe a conversation because it didn't seem like real. Ri Probert seemed to be joking. But anyway, he came back and, and Probert chirped me while they were going by the bench. And I said, I didn't say that, Mr. Probert, just kind of kidding. And the boys were laughing. So it was still kind of a laid back, even though we're in the middle of an NHL game. I, I just didn't think I was going to get out there. So right at that point, the video comes down. He says, Ryan Coolen, Patrick Coolen played with us uh, at the time, and McCleary. And I went, whoa, wow, wow, wow. I, I'm, I'm still thinking that it's a TV timeout, so I get a chance to go out there. So I tie up. I, I'm, I'm kind of going, fuck, but it's an NHL game. So I'm going, yes, I get to play an NHL game. You got to put your skates on the ice to get credit for the game. So I'm like, at least, but ideally, we win the face off and I get the fuck off right away because I'm just not prepared. So anyway, <laughs> so I do the top rung of my skates off. Boys are howling. I go out there. My helmet <laughs> got her all ready to go. It looks like I've already been in a fight because they're red around my eyes. Anyway, you know, so we, 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 we the face-off's about to happen. Clary's out there too. He's chirping me um, from the bench. I mean, as my good buddies, it's just one of his first games. He scores a goal. So anyway, when we go out, when, when the comes time for the face-off, if you ever noticed, there's some, most face-offs, but, Especially, I used to notice in those big rinks when they were packed, because there's all this noise, there's music, you can hear the murmur of the crowd, especially in the Bell Center. But then for that one fraction, the music goes off, and the linesman's ready to drop the puck, and you can hear anything. You can hear a cricket. There's that one, you know, fractions of, a, of seconds. Mm. And in that moment, Cam Russell says, hey, Ryan, does your coach know you're out here? So... <laughs> It's the first time I heard that. I don't know if it's regurgitated or it's his line, but I thought it was hilarious. But I'm I'm kind of pissed off, and I I really am thinking I'm so I'm so numb to it that I really am. I mean, it's the NHL, right? But it's it's my third go around at this point, and so anyway, I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna go. So <laughs> the face off. This is on YouTube, by the way. The face off happens behind the net, or sorry, the face off happens. The puck goes behind the net. Uh, fairly shortly because I remember like feeling my skates are they going to be all right they were and um, they weren't perfect I, and the puck comes behind the net so McCleary falls down they're, they're out there and there's this ruckus and I'm back there and I realize I go right at Russell because he said this whatever I know he's only yeah I know he's fucking around you know people chirp he didn't seem too mad or anything but anyway now and it's him or Probert Probert's literally there pulling me pulling me and again, you can see this on YouTube if you think I'm bullshit. And I'm like, fuck. So I, I realized this is Russell. I'm not right ready for it, but I think we're going to go. Pretty honest player. I know he's from Halifax. So I, I, I've heard about these pretty good guy. Being that, being that I, I, I've heard about his my whole way up. Like I knew Cam Russell when yeah, he was yeah. 18 playing in the queue because I'm from St. John's and people know. So anyway, we go. It ends up being TSN high of the night. Boom, boom, boom. We're going. Then I'm going left. I didn't even know how to throw left very good, but it's caught up in the moment at the Bell Center. And we're going boom, 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 back and back and back and back and forth. And then finally, the last two, he puts his ear right here and says, good fight. I say, good fight. We go over to the penalty box. And he says, you're a maritimer, eh? I said, well, I'm from Newfoundland. And he said, yeah. And he, he starts asking me about like my career. He's asking me about like, Todd Gillingham. because I, I didn't realize he played against or with him in the queue or something. I distinctly remember him saying that. I know it's a long time ago, but I write everything yeah. down, folks. So like after these, I'm not making this up. So we're in the penalty box. And um, I, I remember there's obvious girls, like you said, remember in, in Montreal, when I say this to people, they don't, in Montreal, there's sections that there's obviously uh, exotic dancers that are sitting them, right? You know that as well as I do. So over by the penalty box, 
And a lot of the boys would take their two tickets and give them to the exotic dancers from Shea Pre and everything else. So I'm over, you know, I don't want to be stereotypical, but I'm looking next to the box and I'm going, this, th these are definitely a couple of peelers. So I'm in there and Russell's kind of getting a kick out of it. So you know what I do? I get the score, get the guy in there got like score sheets, but you know, he's doing the score sheet, but he's got all kinds of extra ones there. So I get him to rip one off and give me the back of it. And I write down my, my you had cell numbers you couldn't text. Right, so you could call though. So I wrote down my number and I slipped it through the glass at the Bell Center and I gave it to her. And then I came off. So the, the, the whistle goes, whatever. I, I come off, uh, skate across the ice and Russell says something else. I'm like, yeah, good job. Maybe I'll meet you one day. Really? Like that's, that's the conversation that was happening when we came off. Yeah. And then I got to the bench, um, didn't get another shift. Come in after the game, as I'm getting ready, phone rings and the girls met us at Da Vinci and we had a great night. And I don't know if Moose, I don't know if he was married or anything. I, I don't really remember. So I won't tell everything that happened, but it was, it was more me than him, but we went there and then all the boys showed up. We had a great time. Yeah. We had a great time. <laughs> that was my last shift. That's a good, that's, a, that's wild. That's your last. Yeah. yeah your last I had shift no idea. What a great story. Eating hot dogs, having a Coke, fighting, <laughs> fighting Cam Russell. That's awesome. Well, that's a great way to finish. I know you got to go and I know I got to go too. But um, Terry, awesome as always. Super, really appreciate your time. Um, you're obviously one of those guests that you can come back every, uh, you know, we'd have you on every week and I think there'd be a new story there and, and get people laughing. I know I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, thanks so much. And till next time, my friend. I really appreciate it, my man. Good luck with oh, everything. I appreciate it. Again, it's Terry Ryan 2020 on Instagram. If you want a book out there, you're, you're listening, or shoot me a note and I'll get one out to your pods. Good luck with everything you do. And I will have you back on my podcast, Tales with TR, again soon. All right. Cheers, bye. Cheers, pods. That was good. So thank you so much for being here today for episode 48 with Terry Ryan. Uh, he makes me smile. He makes me laugh. Um, my mom calls him a little rough around the edges, um, which is a very endearing term for my mom because she says it with a smile on her face. And um, he is, he's super likable, right? Um, he doesn't pretend to be polished. Um, that's not him. He's not polished. He, he's articulate. He tells a good story. He, he has a, a wise insight. And, um, and he says what he means and he means what he says. And, uh, and I like that about Terry. And I think a lot of people like that about Terry and, uh, to be as humble as he is and, and as grounded as he is, you mean, to be able to look back, uh, on, on a career, you know, that was probably filled with a ton of different emotions, you know, one of which was maybe pride. One of which was maybe guilt, you know, it's, it's crazy what expectations do to somebody, whether they're personal or external uh, or both. And being an eighth overall pick of a storied franchise like the Montreal Canadiens in the first round to sign for 1.25 million um, and to end up playing eight games uh, obviously wasn't something that he thought was going to happen. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, as, as amazing as, as that is to play eight games, it's hard to do, right? That's the thing. We can't discount that. I don't care where he got drafted. It's still hard to get there. Um, it's definitely harder to stay. 
But there is something for him to be proud of. And there's also something for him to be proud of is how he's handled it now and how he's chose to talk about it and how he's chose to deliver that message to others. Um, whether it be for entertainment purposes or whether it be for learning and educational purposes, but to be open about our stories, I think, is a massively vulnerable thing to do, um, I think is the right word. And it's helpful. Um, because it allows others to see the human side of people because it's hard it's hard to do that it really is you know that might be one of the weakest most vulnerable weakest is the wrong word but that might be one of the most sensitive areas for Terry right to, to be able to share those stories where it went wrong where he was immature where he wished he would have done better um, and to stand there and say you know the title of his book you know, with uh, tales of a first round nothing, like that is a very, very big piece of humble pie that he's starting that title with. And a lot of us, I don't think would be able to do that. So I am uh, proud to have Terry on the show. I'm proud to call Terry a friend. I'm a big supporter of him and what and what he what he does. Uh, and and I find him, you know, I get a laugh every time I talk with him and, and people who make you feel good. Uh, are people you want to be around. And I think Terry's one of those guys. So I hope you enjoyed his story. I hope you learned from his story. Uh, and follow Terry. Terry's on t- Twitter. Terry's, uh, I think it's Terry Ryan 2020, I think he mentioned. Uh, he, we talked earlier in the, st- uh, in the thing about the book. Like it's much more advantageous for him for if you bought the book directly from him. So do that. Take him up on that. Get him to... Get him to personalize a book for you. Get him to send you a picture. Get get a picture of TR uh, Senior in there too. For those of you who don't know Terry, his dad is is uh, I don't know how, but would be more legendary even than Terry. His stories and his memories. He's an he's an icon in Newfoundland and uh, and outside of Newfoundland as well. But uh, just a just a wonderful family. So yeah, support Terry. Thank you for supporting the show. And until next time, play hard. Keep your head up.